Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 316 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Toyota Crown, the Honda Beat, the Honda Beast, the 2014 GMC, or 2024 GMC Sierra 1500 AT4X AEV edition. Uh... Highlights from the Detroit Auto Show, including the new F-150, Cadillac CT5, GMC Acadia, um, the Honda Moto Compacto, fold-up mini scooter, Mustang Mach-E rally that's going to be running in the Rebel rally in a couple of weeks, and Stefan Hartung, chairman and CEO of Bosch, and Brian Latouf, the global chief safety officer for Hyundai Motor Group. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 316 of Wheel Bearings. I am Sam Abuel Samet from Guidehouse Insights. I am Nicole Wakeland from the Road Reflective Podcast. And I am Roberto Baldwin from SAE International. And uh, in a rare occurrence this week, all three of us were in the same place at the same time, at least in the same building at the same time, but if not necessarily in the same location yeah. in that building. We never actually all managed to see each other at the same time. Yeah, I ended up. That was my. I just left. (laughs) Well, you did the smart thing. Yeah, I could have. I could have stuck. I I, I was sticking. I was sticking around, and like you know, I got work to do. Well, I, I left about one thirty um, or two o'clock. Oh, she didn't leave much after. I don't think but, anybody was there for very long because it was done. So we're talking about the Detroit. This, auto if you're show. shooting video, yeah. if you're shooting video, yeah. it was like a really great Detroit Auto Show. Right. Because like everyone was going to be gone, you could st- shoot all your video on the first day. Which at a regular auto show, the first day it's really tough because you got people walking in front of you. It's, it's uh it's a, it's a nightmare. But the Detroit show for the three cars, perfect. Four. There was four. Four cars. Come on, let's give them credit. Wait, give give them credit for the F one fifty. Oh, for the geez, yeah. That technically <laughs> wasn't at the show. That well, it was. That. It was on the show floor. They just didn't an- technically announce it at the show. Right. Although it was on the show schedule. But we'll All talk right. about really? that later. Oh my okay. gosh. <laughs> uh, so what did you drive, Nicole? I drove the twenty twenty four GMC Sierra fifteen hundred eighty four X AEV. <laughs> that literally is the name of this. I was like, you actually, I missed, I missed a word. 2024 GMC Sierra 1500 AT4X AEV edition. So there we go. There's the oh, whole thing. Like, gotta have the edition in there. Gotta have the edition. So this is the off-roadiest of the off-roady truck, which is already off-roadier than it was last year. That's my review. So it was the AT4, then there was the AT4X. Now the AT4X AEV adds even more. So each... Additional series of letters just adds, continues to add off-road capability to this vehicle. And dollars and um, dollars and dollars and dollars and to dollars. the bottom line. The numbers go higher. The letters go everything. There's more letters. There's more numbers. Yeah. Everything goes up. So um, the price on this, since we're chatting about it, is $90,935. You guys want to take a guess at destination? Uh, 1800 Sam? I'm going to say 2500 
Uh, Robbie wins 1895. Oh, yeah. See, you were like right on there. So I thought Sam was going to say a dollar because that's what I would have said if I heard. I, I figured they would charge extra because they probably ship it to <clears throat> AEV to make the AEV edition. Or do they do that in the factory? I'm wondering if it's factory. I'm not sure whether it it's factory. Be. It must be factory because otherwise it would have had <sighs> to have been more for that because 1895 feels pretty ridiculously normal for a truck so I feel like well, especially for more. something with aev stuff on it because you know that's american expedition vehicles and they do right. off-road stuff um and you know earlier this year when they did the 20th anniversary wrangler rubicon they had you know aev stuff on there and i think the the 392 the wrangler rubicon 392 was something like a hundred and ten thousand dollars oof yeah, it adds a lot, but it adds a lot. That's so the EV edition, the price on that, what you're paying for that, it's just under seven thousand. It's sixty eight ninety five, and that adds it adds quite a bit. You get some kind of fun stuff, like you have AEV stamped rear bumpers, and you get high gloss black wheels with AEV center caps, and you get like an AEV. Oh, okay, I read. Well, those high gloss black wheels do make do wonders off road. They do, right? That's exactly what you want when there's rocks and gravel and sticks yeah. and stuff poking your wheels and it's perfect combination <laughs> like peanut butter and like, chocolate like um, bears out there poking your wheels with sticks right. scraping ah. against boulders but, yeah. <laughs> so i just read this the word is boron aev hot stamp boron i totally read it as bourbon i'm like <laughs> oh, bourbon. bourbon steel what the heck is that mm. um so there's AEV hot stamp boron it tastes <laughs> better for the bears when they bite into it blades. Um, yeah, so there's and then there's rocker the rocker rails there. Rock that rails. I, rock rails. Hate them. Hate them on this vehicle. They're and I like oh. this overall, but I I know they're not supposed to be a step. Like a step is a flat surface. It's designed to be flat that you can put your foot on and you can step up. Rock rails are designed to keep you from smashing the edge of your car against rocks. Like the rocks slide around the rock rails. So they're not really a step, but I feel like the way these are positioned are the most awkward ever because they're not round. They're sort of like angled, so they kind of come in, but they come up far enough that your foot kind of wants to catch them. Like you almost want to think like, I should be able to step on that. Nope. Actually, I can't step on that. And if you try to step on that, it won't let you step on it. But then you're just taking this awkwardly large step as if your side sill has suddenly just grown twice its normal size. So I find them awkwardly placed in this vehicle. That was my, my big beef, stupid. And like my daughter tried to get in and she, she was like, this is stupid, mom. I can't even get in this truck with a skirt because he's a little, I don't know. Do I step on this rail? Do I not step on this rail? So I did not like that. That was my dislike. Um, what I did like was, um, that this is an off-road truck. Like this is truly someone who's going to be doing some hardcore off-roading. Um, it's not messing around. A lot of the times when you have that truck, that also means that driving it on the highway, it's a miserable ride because they get very bouncy when they're trying to do, when you get those great big giant off-road tires and you take them onto the highway and you go 65 miles an hour, it's just ridiculous. You go through a little bump or something and you have this like bounce and sway that can make you often feel like you're losing a little bit of control of the vehicle that you're driving. And it's a little disconcerting. This is incredibly smooth. Like I drove it on the highway and it didn't have any issues. Even changing lanes at speed sort of quickly, it still stays really composed, which I appreciate because no matter how much you love going off-road in your vehicle, at some point you're going home. 
which probably for most humans requires driving on some kind of regular old road, whether it's dirt or whether it's paved, there is a path of some sort to most of our homes that is not an off-road rugged trail. So unless you live out in the bush, you know. Unless you live you're in the gonna, bush. But you're going to wear a road. You're, you're going to just make your own road, right? Yeah, you're making yeah. your own road. Uh, but so I, I appreciate that this was a an off-road capable truck that actually did a very good balance of being having all of the capability you could possibly want, but also being something that you could live with day to day. The um, usual uh, complaint there, too, is that it's still really big. And because it's so high, you're, you have to rely on that 360 camera big time because you cannot get an idea of where the front corners on the, like on the front of the car or how far you're, t you just cannot get any sense of anything distance wise. So I was so relying, if it did not have the overhead camera, like those are essential. I feel like everything should have the 360 bird's eye view, whatever they want to call it. Because as you're coming out of a tight spot, you can see if you're about to clip some stupid, cute little decorative curb <clears throat> at the local restaurant or whatever. Or a pedestrian. Or, well, yeah, people too, whatever. They can get out of the way. But the curb <laughs> is not going to move <laughs> unless you move it by accident. <laughs> so, I, I it, like, on a vehicle like this, those those safety features that are in those little convenience, I guess it's safety, but it's also convenient because you can see better. But, you know, on a sedan, it's great. They help you. But on a big car, gosh, they are a godsend to be able to have those little cameras so that you can actually see everything around your vehicle. I wedged myself into a parking space I had no right fitting into because the parking lot at this particular place was full. But I only wedged, I never would have tried it without the cameras because there was so much, there was like the, the wire coming down from a telephone pole, you know, and like secure them in the ground. It has a little cover over it, a little wire there. There's a little post here. There was a rock there. I'm like, okay, let's see how these cameras work. I wedged myself right in there. <coughs> Took like the last parking space in the lot. Woohoo. So, so I liked it. I think it's a good chart. I mean, it's expensive. I, I, I'm feeling like most people that buy this don't use all that capability, but wow, $91,000 if you're not a hardcore off-roader just for a truck that looks super cool. I mean, if it makes you feel good, great, but it's a lot of money for a truck if you're not truly doing that every single weekend of your life. It's a midlife crisis, empty the 401k truck. It would, isn't everyone yeah. emptying their 401k it's to buy in-sync tickets? Isn't that it's, what's happening now? I thought not for trucks. Buy, buy what tickets? <laughs> in sync. Are, are those going for as much as Taylor Swift tickets? I think they probably will. They're, they're supposedly going to go on tour, and everyone's like, oh, my God. All the middle-aged moms are like, I got to go see me some sync. I got to raid my husband's 401k. This is why I don't go to concerts anymore. I I, I just cannot expensive. fathom the idea of paying thousands of dollars oh, I don't. to to watch somebody on a screen because you're so far away that so you can't even away. actually see the, the, the band on stage. That's why that's why you got to be like me and only like bands no one else likes. There you go. 450 bucks to go see Pink, but at some point she comes out over these like this trapeze thing. 450 dollars. She's but she completely like sails over the entire stadium in this harness thing. So she actually pretty darn close, like dangling in the air in front of me, like Tinkerbell. I can see her the bottom of her feet. Which which for some people is worth the the cost of the show. You know, whatever. Whatever, friend, whatever really makes you happy. Wanted to go, and I made my friend happy. So a friend really, really, really right. wanted to go. So that's not the norm. <laughs> I blew that kind of money on concert <laughs> tickets. Let's just be clear. Yeah, I haven't done that, and I don't even know when. <laughs> yeah, this the show does not generate that kind of revenue. Yeah, no, I no. <laughs> we, we, we don't generate in uh, pink revenue. No, no, we don't generate pink levels of revenue. <laughs> but I mean, if everybody wanted to sign up for our Patreon, then, then if everyone did. 
Yeah. That's true. We I could have got better eyes. tickets to, to Devo. I paid $80 for pretty good tickets, but I could have paid more for better tickets. Yeah, and I'm in a Devo cover band. <laughs> I mean, I, I would I would pay seen Devo, 80 bucks like a, for Devo way before I'd pay, you know, hundreds or thousands for a lot of these other performers that are out there. Devo puts on a good show, even though they're, they're you know, this is their 50, 50th anniversary. So It is uh, not really? Yeah. Yeah. When the problem comes along, you must take some Advil and have a nice little nap. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so, okay. so did uh, did the Sierra have the uh, multi-pro tailgate? Did it? It does have the multi. I didn't even play with the tailgate. I mean, I'm assuming it has the multi-pro tailgate, which I played with on other. I'm literally looking. GMC multi-pro. Oh, it even has the audio system. Oh, I saw uh, it had the tailgate because I could see the seams. But it so also- that speakers in the, in the in the tailgate. Yeah, so it has the speakers in the tailgate, which are awesome. Have you ever played with that? You ever play, like played with the speakers on this? No, I haven't. Uh, the I only the only vehicle I've had so far with the multi pro tailgate was the uh, the Hummer, and it did not have the speakers. I, the speakers uh, are actually pretty decent. I was at something a GMC thing, and they were of course playing music through the speakers to show it off, and it actually did a pretty good job. Um, where were they? Were I, they playing Pink? No. Losers. Yeah, but um, they're playing diva. Um, but uh, right. would you? So that's not you for seen, the youngs, though. The youngs don't want to hear diva. Can we go on a can we go on a tailgate tangent, or do I have to? Certainly. We talk about the F one hundred and fifty. No. So we don't have to talk about the F one hundred and fifty. So <laughs> there's lots of F one hundred and fifty news. It's like later in our show notes, but the, they have a new tailgate. Sort of lots of F one hundred and fifty so, news. A little bit of F one hundred and fifty news. So they the tailgate instead of just coming down. Now it actually has a par- portion in the middle that swings open, like from the driver's side to the right, and it's like. Maybe what I don't know, eight inches in on either side, so it's not the full tailgate. It's like a, it's a like about the middle, middle two thirds of the tailgates. Yeah. yeah, so it just leaves a little tiny piece on either side that's stationary. That's their new tailgate. It has like three little stops. It'll stop like partly one, partly two, or fully open, so you don't whack into your trailer hitch. What do you? Th- whose tailgate's the best? We got the Multi Pro and GMC. Oh, you got this one on Ford. You the new one on Ford. You have the Ram that kind of splits. On the, on the side, you have Hondas, which is a full swing. Am I missing anybody? Am I missing one? You said Ram, right? That's oh, I said Ram. Yeah, yeah with said Ram. Like That's just a one-third, two-thirds split. Yeah, Does one Rivian do? Does Rivian do anything, or do no. they have the special hold? No, the special hold to, to. I don't think they did anything. Which one yeah. do you think is the best? Which one? You have to pick a truck purely based they, on the tailgate. You know the <sighs> the GM tailgate. You know does more different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I'm not necessarily sure that it's more useful. See, here's the thing: we got to get all of these trucks do. in. We got to get all the trucks in, shoot a little video. Yeah, we have to all meet somewhere, so that's going to be a problem. <laughs> <laughs> right there, we're in trouble. <laughs> we're already in trouble. Get all the things in, and then shoot a little video. So I, I, think it, I think it. I think it depends. I think it depends on what you want to do with your truck. If yeah. if you are pulling a trailer, the you know the Ford setup is actually pr- probably the best one mm-hmm. um, because of the, the way it's configured. You know, because you can open it up part way and get access to the bed. You know, wa- without unhooking the trailer. The could you wait? Could you do that in the Ram though? Does the little quarter no, open uh, by itself without no? Because you have to open the big side first to get the little side. Okay, I think right. yes. And maybe it's the other way around. I'm trying to remember which side opens because there's a little side and a big side on the Ram. Yeah, are we talking about fifth wheels? 
<laughs> no, no, just a standard uh, hitch. Like when you know, a hitch. If you swing too hard, like a class four or tailgate. Uh, yeah, I guess you got to like some of them are pretty. They're pretty tight. I'm okay. The yeah, and the, in, my, in my brain, I'm thinking of all the trailers I've ever pulled. I'm like, no, no. Yep, there it is. <laughs> yeah, the um, the the rant or the um, the GM one. You know, if you've got a trailer hooked up, you know, it's not really that useful because you can't you can't drop that part down um, when you've got a hitch hooked up there, things like that. But on the other hand, depending on what you want to use it for, you know, if you want to use it essentially like as a bed extender then the GM configuration is better because, you know, you can open up the tailgate, uh, flip that back part up, you know, so you've got to stop. That's so true. if you're carrying, you know, sheets of plywood or, or lumber or something in the back. Home Depot um, runs. Yeah. You know, so you, you've got that so stop much. on the back. Um, and, you know, so you've got some different configurations there. And then on the, the, on the Silverado and Sierra EV, you know, combine that with the mid-gate. If you've got the mid-gate, you know, now you can have – was it 11 feet of, yeah. of, you know, length there from behind the front seats all the way back to that stop on the tailgate. So I think it, it depends. I don't think there's a clear winner. It depends on yeah. how you want to, how you plan to use your truck to figure out yeah. which is the best solution for you. I, I think, I, think I kind of like the GMC one because I feel like there's more things than you will need it to do, but you're probably going to find the mer most immersed, most versatility in that one. I kind of like the GMC. I like the way the step works like to step up on that one i find that that one of the easier ones to like the step they used to have on the engage uh -huh. it's this teeny little weedy little step that always feels like it feels like it was going to break off right you always like what, the, the one that off? comes out of the top of the top edge yeah, of the tailgate I yeah oh no those things are actually pretty robust i know yeah, but it feels like it's going to break off <laughs> like i know they've done this like, like i know they've tested it on be people bigger than me but right. I'm also like, is this going to snap? You don't have a lot of confidence in it. I know it's not going to break. Not saying it will. We know it's, it's engineered correctly. Correct. I mean, I've, I've pulled those things out and and stood on it, and I mean, they're solid. They oh, don't. Yeah. They do. I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, they don't look. The, I mean, the, the parts right. they don't look that thick, but they they're made of pretty good. strong steel. Yeah. And, oh, they are. You know, hold, I stand on I, that, and it's not going anywhere. I know they're going to hold, but every time I, I, I'm like, oh. This doesn't look like it should. It looks like it's something I should be saying to my kids. Don't climb up there. That's not like they should that. have a picture of like Wolverine on it. So like, oh, it's that kind of it's that kind of metal. And they're like, oh, it's not kind of break. It's made fine. of adamantium. Is that what yep. Wolverine? That is? sounds. Look at that. I think it's adamantium. Yeah, you I think so. There, there's a Disney fan for you. <laughs> I think now I'm looking it up. I think it's yeah. I got a little thing, a picture of Wolverine when I googled that adamantium. Woohoo! Ah, <laughs> uh, all right. So, so the AT4X uh, AEV edition is your is your favorite. I like the tail. I like that multi pro tailgate. Did, did you go bombing across your neighbor's front yards with uh, with that I just to see how it does off road? Yard, but I did go through. I was at a farm stand and everyone was being stupid getting out of it. And it was like one of those big fart. Like there's a huge parking lot that's grass and dirt, and all the little cars trying to stay in the dirt part. I'm like, you realize we drive in all of this. Like when it's crowded, we drive right over into the grass. Everyone does. And I just was like, forget this. And I went way up into the tall grass. And the funny thing was, like, as I did this, knowing this is parking area, like half a dozen other trucks in the line are like, yeah, that way. <laughs> we all head out. You're a trendsetter. I was trendsetter. Yeah, that's me, you know. <laughs> of course, there is still one feature that Ram has done that nobody else has copied yet, which is the Ram box. And the Ram box right. is very cool. Why does nobody else do that? Wait, which one's the Ram box? No, that's really the, 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 like the boxes on the side of the bed. That you can oh, access from yeah. the exterior. 
you can like tuck stuff in, and you can tuck use stuff them as like in. little. Coolers. I mean, it's it's big enough that Mike Levine can fit in one of those. <laughs> have you tested this? Did you I ship have. Mike Levine in a Ram box? Uh, yeah, there there is. There is a video that um, is sadly no longer on YouTube. I'm pretty Poor sure Mike. Mike Levine had had them remove it. But back <laughs> in 2008, when they first introduced that, we were at the Chrysler What's New event, and Chris Schunk and I, um, Mike was there. He was still running PickupTrucks.com at the time. This is before uh, he was a Ford guy. Yeah, Mike Mike, Mike is now the uh, director of product, uh, product communications for Ford brand for yes. North America. But at the time, he, he ran a site called PickupTrucks.com. And um, he, you know, Mike is, if you've never met Mike, he is, um, shall we say slim, to He's say slim. the least. He's slim, yes. And um, he, uh, you know, we, you know, we, as a little joke, you know, we, we had him see if he could fit into the Ram box. And he basically could fit in the Ram box. He is that skinny. Lord. And he's not short. I mean, he's tall. He's, you know, he's six foot tall. Yeah, he's, he's tall, just, but he's a skinny guy. Yeah. So you could Ram put box. two Mike Levines in the Ram boxes, or like a Mike one on Levine each side, and like a like Jill your travel Spinello. nights. Jill would probably fit in a Ram box if Mike. Oh, Jill would absolutely fit. I mean, so she, you can take the head she would have the room to squirm around in there. I mean, yeah. So you could take one Ford guy and one journalist with you in the Ram box. <laughs> yeah, just driving around. The Ford guy would be very upset. The journalist Jill would be, be like, like "I'm writing an article." Yeah, Jill's like, "What it's like to ride around town in a Ram box." <laughs> <laughs> I mean, she does do. The, does she still do the the girl in the trunk thing? I think thing? she sometimes she does. She I think she does still the girl in the trunk. Jill is four foot. For anyone who doesn't, I think she's four eleven. She's not. Yeah, I think she's so. Even five feet. I feel like she's four. Yeah, she is under. Yeah, I think she's like four eleven. Yeah. So she and she's super tiny. Um, she's a spitfire of a journalist too. She's <laughs> tiny physically, personality huge. Yes. So um, and her thing is she can fit into just about any tiny little. I think she's even climbed in some frunks. Over the she definitely has over the uh, occurrence of EVs. So yeah, so either Mike Levine or Jill Simonello, you can cram into a Ram box. <laughs> Hold on a second. I am going to uh, drop a picture in the chat uh, you so have you a can. Picture of Mike. I do have a photograph no. of Mike. Uh, <clears throat> can we bribe probably... him with this? Is he trying to erase this from the internet? And you've just brought it probably. Back? Uh, yeah, I'm, I'm. I would not be the least bit surprised if he had that video removed because <laughs> there is a video of him. Do, you know, I I was shooting photos while uh, Chris was shooting video of this. Oh my gosh, he is squished into the Ram box. Yeah, he doesn't look especially comfortable, but he does. No, fit. But, yeah. he's fine. <laughs> you can see, there's a fancy camera recording him. I know yeah. that's a good, that's quality camera right there. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So we need to save this picture, and someday when Mike retires, this picture <laughs> needs to come out and be blown up. Or uh, I, I will include a link to it in the show notes. Yeah, let's share this picture of Mike so he picks out all of us. He's like, you guys. He'll be so <laughs> angry with us. Nah. Or at least with Sam. He's not going to care. <laughs> he's going to hunt us down. He's too good a sport. He's going to come up behind us with like a Bronco Raptor. <laughs> you can't come up behind anyone in that. Like, like there's a Bronco Raptor a mile and a half away. I should move. They're so loud. There's yeah. <laughs> Mike. All right. Uh, what about you, Robbie? Oh, well, you, did you have anything else on the Sierra? No, I feel like we covered that one. Okay. <laughs> I feel like we're good. All right. Robbie? What about uh, you? So I uh, I drove a car and I rode in a car. Both of them were Hondas. One of them was a Honda Beat. Honda Beat was a little teeny tiny key car. Uh, yeah, like it's a mid-engine <laughs> sports small. car. 
it's a little mid-engine sports car. It's so tiny. It's a teeny tiny little key car, and I've wanted one for a really long time. If you lay um, down on the ground next to that, are you taller than that car is? I might. I don't know. (laughs) What's the dimensions of it? Like you are taller than this car is. What did it say? I might be one hundred and twenty-nine point seven inches. How many feet is that? Math. See. Uh, let's see. That's just over ten feet. Oh, so oh no, I'm not that tall. Yeah, I'm not that tall. Ten feet, <laughs> about ten feet, ten inches. It's I'm not that tall. Taller. But I think you you may be longer than the wheelbase. I was gonna say, I bet he is. Like, wait, what's the ninety ninety inches? Uh, ninety so, inches. Uh, what what is ninety divided by twelve? I don't know. I can't wait. do math anymore. Divided by twelve. Ninety divided. Seven and a half. Uh, almost. You're oh. almost oh. as long as the wheelbase. I'm I'm close. Yeah. Wheelbase one Robbie. Yeah. One Robbie. Um, so I was at the uh, the battery show. Um, I went to the to the car show as well, but I was mostly at the battery show with the new with the new gig. Um, and while I was there, uh, everyone's good friend Mike Austin was there. Mike Austin owns a Honda Beat, and I was just like, "Hey, Mike Austin's here. I'm gonna go say hi." And, and he's like, "Hey, you want to go see my car?" And I'm like, "Yes, yes, I do." <laughs> Mike lives and about then, five minutes away from me here. And then he's like, oh, you want to drive it? I was like, oh, and I got very excited. It's a right-hand drive, little, little key car. It's a little silver, little silver thing. And um, I looked at it, and he's like, the seat's already all the way back. Because <laughs> 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 he knew what my first thought was. Um, and so I didn't drive it on the road. I just drove it around the parking lot because if we pulled out of the parking lot, it was going to take forever to get back into, into the thing. So I didn't, you know, I only drove for like five minutes up until second gear. <laughs> but Oh, my God. It was it, you know. It's just one of those things where you look at there's this car you want, and you really sort of like, oh my god, how do I get one? How do I get one? How do I get one? And then I drove it, and I really like the way it drove. It's really small, it's really tight. Um, but also, I'm very tall, and with the seat all the way back, um, up against the essentially the firewall, um, my knees. And he, Mike, had a smaller. He didn't have the standard <laughs> steering wheel. He had the smaller steering wheel in there. And my legs were like right up against the steering wheel. So I was doing a lot of shuffle steering. Shuffle steering is where you're moving your hands. Like as you're, mm-hmm. as you're steering it, you know, you, you, you just keep – you're shuffling. It's a shuffle as opposed to keeping your hand on the wheel while, you know, making it the complete turn. So um, love the Honda Beat. Uh, probably won't buy one. <laughs> <laughs> And like getting in was, you know, it's like getting into a uh, a mini, you know, like one of the you know '90s, you know, UK minis. I think that um, that you know '90s and before, yeah, the pretty, actual tiny, like from '61 or whatever to, to, until '99. Yeah, so um, it's like getting in one of those where you have to be very. It's 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 very calculated in how you get into this vehicle. It's also right hand drive, just like one of the kids from Japan. Um, and so that I'm like, okay, I can, I, I know how to do this, but then, yeah, like I have more room in the mini driving those around, but I don't have as much, you know, but, um, yeah, I mean, it has, I don't know what it would be like if I, if the top had been up. <laughs> oh God. Could you fit in it even? I think so. Really? I think, you, you know, think so? um, I'm, Wait, I think I was sitting pretty Mike, low. We had a picture of Mike and Rambox. We don't have a picture of you and a Honda beat. I, I have one. Let me. Let drop see. that. Let's see. Let's drop that drop in the. To, I want to see. Like, so yeah, our pictures for the show. Just people crammed in places <laughs> and cars they shouldn't be. <laughs> crammed. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> nope. Crammed. That's our new. That's our new show. <laughs> what happened to Will Barings? Uh, you know what? Crammed is doing so much better. Doing awesome. <laughs> just we just we just got rid of Will. We squeeze tall people into small cars and <laughs> see what crammed. happens. That's a whole thing now. Oh, <laughs> uh, people in a tiny it's like, car, like clown cars. Yeah. All right, here it is. 
Can I just drag uh, this over here? Here we go. For for those for those not familiar with with Japanese key cars, you know, these this is a, a, a regulatory class in Japan where the cars are limited to six hundred and sixty CCs and sixty six horsepower. Oh, you don't look that bad. You look fine in there. I don't think his head would have. But look, I'm trying to. Look I think I'd been fine. I, I, yeah, no, I, I think you're. You would fit under the top. I think I, think I would head. fit under the pot. That's one I of the things. Yeah. If your hair was poofy that day, your head would touch the top. If your hair oh, was not poofy, you might be okay. You have to like flat hair that day, Robbie, and then okay. You'd be okay. Uh, I, okay, I think I would fit. Yeah. we'll see. <laughs> but but they're just not the leg room is 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 lacking. Um, just be, but uh, you know I fit I fit you know I, I used to own a Del Sol, and I fit in that thing no problem at all. That, yeah, that but that's was, a much larger car than a Beat. Yeah, it's much larger than a Beat. So yeah, so I, I got to drive around the Honda Beat. Um, I really enjoyed it. Maybe if there was an accident where like I lost like some of my legs, but they just had reattached my foot like to my <laughs> mid shin, I would buy one. Um, other than that, probably not at this point. I still want a key van um, for to just cruise around town as opposed to getting a truck. If you just get like one of those little tiny key vans, you'd be surprised you how get... much mulch you can carry in one of those. Yeah, because they're, they're very tall and the dogs can get in the back. We could take and go to the dog park. It totally would get rid of the super happy get rid of the Jaguar for a key van. <laughs> if anyone wants to trade. <laughs> A Jaguar X-Type for a key van from from Honda or whoever. I'll, uh, I'll give me give me a holler. But uh, yeah, no, I, it was it was really fun. So that was fun. So that's one Honda I was in. And then early, last week, I was in another Honda, which was a little bit bigger and had a bit more power. I was in the CR, CRV Beast. If you don't know what that is, um, Honda sort of lost its mind at some point. <laughs> <laughs> Someone at Honda's like, hey, what if we got a CRV? We slammed it. And then we put an engine and a, an electric engine. And we just made this like insane hybrid that did about 800 horsepower, which essentially, what if we just rebuilt an ND car? What if we just made an ND car? That, that, is, that is basically what it is. This is essentially the, the powertrain from the 2024 ND cars. Yeah. Or, they, or something they, very similar to it. Yeah, it's it's very much the, the the essentially what you're going to get from the indie cars. Uh, you know, they're moving the motor, they're doing a few yeah. other things, but it's, it's that's essentially what it is. And so I got to go up to Laguna Seca or down to uh, Laguna Seca last weekend, and they let me uh, sit in the car and 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 while someone else drove it, because um, they're definitely not going to let me drive um, the beast. Uh, <laughs> but it was it was outstanding. I, it was really fun, and um, what was cool is on the first run. Um, you know, tires, if you ever do track time, you know that the first lap is can be a little hairy um, just because the tires haven't been warmed up. And so right before we hit the uh, the corkscrew, which is a you, – you're going you're going up a hill. You can't see where you're going. <laughs> it's it's a blind going. downhill right, left. left, right, I think. Left and right. And, uh, left you're, and you're, right yeah. If you're not careful, you can go off camber on the right so the left and then on the right, if you're not careful, if you're yeah. too far out, you're off camber and then you'll just slide into. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so right before we hit that, uh, when he put when the, uh, the driver put the brakes on, um, there was a little wiggle. And I was like, yeah, this is going to be fun. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, no, I had a, it, it was, you know, anytime there were people there at the it was an indie race. Um, it was qualifying day, and there were people there who had paid, I guess, to – there's tandem indie cars that you can ride in. Mm -hmm. And so they got to do – if you have the – if you're a big car person, 
you love cars, you love going fast or whatever, and you've never done a hot lap with a professional driver, mm. figure out a way to do it. Yeah. Because it's still a lot of fun. Um, it can be, especially their first one, you're like, oh my gosh, what's happening? Because it's so much faster than you ever thought a car should be going. <laughs> um, and uh, but, but you're also riding with people who this is their job, and they're not doing 10 tenths for them. They're doing like seven tenths, but it, six But tenths. to you, it'll feel like 12 yeah. tenths. Like I've been in cars where the guys, where the, the driver is just driving like a maniac. I feel like, and they're like, so how you doing? So I was a flight. And they're blah, blah, blah. <laughs> uh, my, my, my favorite ride like that of, of all time was in 2010. I was riding shotgun with Juan Montoya around the Milford Road Course at the GM Proving Grounds in a Corvette ZR1. And we did about five laps. And you know, when, when Juan Montoya starts talking, it's like, you know, he's just a chatterbox and he's drifting this car around the corners at ridiculous speeds and chattering the whole time and telling me, you know, what a piece of garbage a Ferrari 360 is. <laughs> I can't even remember what the context was, why we got to that, but you know, it, he, yeah, he was so, it was so much fun. Now, it, it is. It's really. It's. It's. it's some, if you're in a race car, you typically can't really hear unless they put uh, comms mm -hmm. on you because it's just so loud. Like I had, I had. Um, you had to have ear protection, um, or you'd just be deaf even with the helmet and the head sock. Um, but uh, yeah, sometimes you, like I've been in a Camry where someone was doing a hot lap around Sonoma. I was like, what is going on? <laughs> <laughs> and they're talking to you the same way that you would be talking to your friend as you're driving through the Target parking lot. It's, they're, <laughs> they're like, so yeah, la, 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 la. Because they're not racing anyone. And they're like, yeah. I don't have to go like 10 tenths because, A, I can't do it with this car without melting the tires. If I melt the tires in this first run, I can't. I, yeah, I'm have to wait. I'm gonna have to do this all day and waiting. Or I can do it in an hour if I don't melt the tires and just like you know be cordial. And so yeah, yeah, it's it's yeah. So I went out there was a, it was um, it was bonkers. It was uh, it was a lot of fun. Um, the uh, the beast is uh, it's really interesting because you know Honda's you know for it felt like for years Honda was kind of boring and not kind of boring. Honda was boring for a long just time say it just commit and to i it. think the last five seven years they've sort of they're coming out of that and now they're sort of you know they're embracing who they are they're embracing you know some of their fun vehicles the enthusiast vehicles and they're also they're embracing evs which means they're embracing enthusiasts and evs you know I'm, I'm excited to see what's what's coming down the pike from them so yeah so those are two cars two hondas one teeny tiny um one with the <laughs> well, I, I rode. I got to ride in the Beast uh, back in June before ahead of the uh, Detroit Grand Prix. Uh, oh, cool! They, they they had it here as well, and uh, yeah, that thing is is crazy. Uh, it's it's amazing. They took they took a, a production CRV body shell, and they they cut the floor pan out of it, and they built essentially an Indy car inside of this. Yeah, they, they, it's a custom built chassis, but it's it is for all intents and purposes a two seat Indy car. Uh, yeah. actually, actually, the front end the front end is actually based on the um, the NSX GT3 race car, and then the back end is mostly Indy car because uh, yeah. it's got the Indy car 2.2 liter turbo, the the super capacitor hybrid system, uh, 800 plus horsepower, um, and yeah, it is it is nuts. <laughs> Yeah, it's so crazy. It was, um, and it, it's funny because we we talked about how you know crossovers and small SUVs are essentially hatchbacks. Mm -hmm. This thing is slammed so close to the ground, you're just getting into it like a sort of big hatchback. Yeah, 
<laughs> it's just a reminder that most of these vehicles are just raised hatchbacks. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. And, you know, for, for those that are interested in going for a ride, you know, with a professional driver on a racetrack, um, you know, if you're ever in Germany, check out the, the schedule for public days at the Nürburgring. Uh, on the Nordschleife, you know, uh, during public days, you know, you can buy a ticket and it used to be like 20 euros. I don't know what it is now. I think it's more now, but, uh, you know, and you could take a lap, you know, in whatever you were driving and, you know, people go there on all kinds of everything from old VW buses to motorcycles and supercars to, you know, golfs. Um, but you can, you can also get a taxi ride, a ring taxi ride with you know and they have a bunch of professional drivers and these are you know they're they're racers um that drive um they used to drive m5s i'm not sure what they're using now they may still be using m5s um and you can ride along you know shotgun with uh, somebody that really knows the nordschleife and you know this is such a long track that you have to drive it a lot to get to know it these drivers know it and you know that that will be better than any roller coaster that you will ever ride at Cedar Point or anywhere else. I have driven by the, Nor- the Nürburgring so many times, dozens of times at this point. Never been there. Oh, that's I've you got to go. It's always go like it's always like, oh, do I have time? And then I look at my, oh my god, I don't have time. All right, maybe next time. It's always maybe next time. So maybe I don't know. You got to plan a trip to Germany just to do that. I got to plan a trip to Germany where I just stay in Germany. I've been to Germany so many <laughs> times. I've probably been to Germany 30 times at this point, maybe 40, a lot. I've been to Germany because three automakers are there. And yeah, and I've never been to Germany. It's just, just sort of sad, really. Yeah. Like, I, yeah, I know people who are like, I went all the way there just to drive this car. And I'm like, oh, wow. Well, I drove by in a sports car, but didn't have a chance to stop in. Yeah. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein, and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. All right. Um, I had the Toyota Crown Limited, um, which is, you know, the Crown is the replacement for the Avalon. Um, you know, Toyota, when they first came to the North American market, they brought the Crown over here, the Crown Toyopet, I think was, was what it was badged as then. And they've never stopped selling the Crown in Japan. But for, what, 40 plus years, um, you could not buy a Crown uh, in North America. Uh, and last fall, they reintroduced the crown as a replacement for the Avalon. Uh, this is their big sedan. And, you know, it's a lot sleeker looking than any Avalon ever was, but it's, it's also kind of unusual in its packaging. Let's put it that way. It was like, "Mm, what word do I use? It's like a, remember micro machines, yeah, like back in the yes. '80s and '90s, they had these little toys called micro machines, and they oh, were like Hot Wheels, except super teeny, teeny tiny. And the guy who did the the uh, the ads was that talk fast talking dude. Um, every car was like, it was small but also a little huskier, like yeah. it had been smushed together. 
Yeah. Um, like if you take an Audi TT and you smush it and it turns into a Volkswagen bug. <laughs> like, <laughs> this, that's like that's kind of that's kind of like what the crown is. You know, yeah. It's, it's it sits a little or it appears to sit a little taller, like a crossover, but it is a sedan. It's a fastback sedan. It has a trunk. Um, you know, AMC it, it, Eagle. There we go. Oh, sorry. Yeah. Oh, there, there you go. go. Okay. Um, except the Eagle, you know, could actually do some off-roading. You can't that's really true. off road. AMC know, Eagle light. Yeah. Um, so it's, it sits up a little taller. <clears throat> um, the roof line I think is either the same or slightly lower than the Avalon was. Um, you know, it's a fastback, but it has a, a trunk. Uh, so, you know, it would probably be better if it was actually a hatchback, uh, yeah. so that you could fold the back seats down, put big stuff in the back if you needed to. Um, the, the floor pan or at least, you know, the floor inside the car is higher than it is than it was in the Avalon, but the ground clearance is the same, which means that there's some space in there. So it's almost like they designed this vehicle to accommodate a battery to you know do a battery electric version, which they have not created and not given any indication that they're going to do. Who knows? But it's you know it's kind of peculiar packaging. So it's not quite as roomy. It's not as roomy as the Avalon was. Um, arguably looks better, um, and. Uh, it certainly drives better, I think, than the Avalon. The you can get it. You know, all the Crown has two powertrains available, both hybrids. So you have the standard Toyota hybrid system. You know, the kind of classic Prius style hybrid system, eCVT, and then there's the Hybrid Max. You know, which is what they're doing on uh, some you know, their higher performance hybrids that they've launched over the last couple of years, like the RX and the Crown, and and also in the in the trucks which combines electric motor with a conventional six-speed automatic transmission and a turbocharged engine. Um, the Crown Limited uh, is the middle of the three. So there's the uh, XLE, um, the Limited, and the Platinum. And I had the Limited, so it was you know fairly well-equipped, but it had the, the standard hybrid powertrain, uh, which is about 236 horsepower, uh, I think, roughly. Um, it's a 2.5 liter four cylinder. So this is basically the same powertrain, you know, that we've had in cars like the RAV4 and the Camry and the previous generation Avalon um, with, you know, it's all wheel drive in this case. Uh, and for a big sedan, a good sized sedan, it was remarkably fuel efficient. Like I averaged 41 miles per gallon. Over the week, Ooh. I drove this thing. Wow. Yeah. Nice. Uh, yeah. So it was, it was really, you know, if you're looking for a, you know, fairly roomy sedan um, that is really ridiculously fuel efficient, um, you know, this, this, is your, this is your beast. Um, the, uh, uh, with, with the hybrid max system, it gets closer to like 29, 30. Uh, the hybrid max is definitely more fun to drive. You know, it's about 300 some horsepower, I think 305. Um, and it, it feels a lot better to drive. Uh, but, but this, this one's fine. It's, 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 it's got more than enough power. Um, the interior, you know, is generally quite nice, uh, in this thing. No, no major complaints. Um, you know, the, the ergonomics, everything's kind of where it should be, where you would expect it to be. Um, it's got a nice big center touchscreen, with a 12.3 inch uh, center touchscreen, with um, the latest Toyota infotainment system that is 
on pretty much all the Toyotas at this point, or, or close to it. They're getting there. As they update everything, everything's getting this system, and it, it works well. It recognizes, hey, Toyota, you know, to do voice commands. Uh, and it's got wireless Apple CarPlay and Android Auto support, 11-speaker uh, JBL audio system. Um, the, the one I had had the leather seats and steering wheel, uh, heated and ventilated in the front. Uh, you know, it's, it's a, you know, this is not a luxury sedan, uh, but you know, neither does it feel cheap. You know, everything is well put together. It's got all the stuff you'd expect, adaptive cruise control, lane centering, um, the, uh, uh, proactive driving assist. So it's using the camera to look at the, the lane markers on the road, looking forward. And, you know, if it sees a curve in the road and it thinks your speed is a little bit too high for that, you know, and you're in cruise control, it'll automatically slow you down a little bit as you approach that curve and then resume your speed. You know, uh, so, um, you know, it does, does, you know, lot, lots of good stuff in there. It's got all the latest Toyota safety sense 3.0 package. So all, all the stuff that you want in there. Um, just generally a really, really nice vehicle to drive. You know, if you're looking for, uh, you know, kind of a regular, you know, large sedan, uh, of which there are fewer and fewer available. Yeah, you know, there's there's not that many of them left. So if if that is what you're looking for, and interestingly, you know, the Avalon used to be produced in Kentucky with the Camry. Um, it's no, you know, the now the Crown because the volumes have dropped off. And this is, I think, this is part of the reason why they decided not to do a new a new Avalon, but just to make it part of the Crown family. Uh, you know, this this one's now sourced from Japan. Uh, and I think they're only targeting about 20,000 sales a year in the U S which is not that much, but at least, at least there isn't for Toyota. Yeah. At least there is an option for people that want a larger sedan. Uh, someone in my neighborhood bought one. Did they? Yeah. There's one down the street. I'm like, Hey, yeah. Wow. You know, the, the, uh, you know, the Taurus is gone now. The, the big GM sedans are gone now. The Dodge charger and Chrysler 300 are going away imminently um uh nissan's dropping the maxima you know and except for the the high-end german brands there's not really any other options left so get one of these while you can if if that's if that's what you if that's what you're interested in um yeah the the crown the the xle starts at uh just under forty thousand dollars uh the uh, limited that i had uh has a Base sticker of forty five five fifty, and with the handful of options that are on here, including the premium paint and the mud guards, um, and the advanced technology package, uh, it came out to a grand total of fifty thousand one hundred and sixty nine dollars. And guesses on the dis- destination charge? Ooh, eleven hundred. Nicole. Eleven hundred. Ten ninety five. Ding 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 ding! Right on, exactly ten ninety five. Which, <laughs> yeah, if you were going to go under, Robbie, you probably should have gone with a dollar. But a dollar, you know, it's, it's <laughs> really, very, it's pretty rare that we get one spot okay, on. So literally, when you said ding ding, you're looking at the screen. I'm like, Robbie was perfectly on. Then I'm like, oh my god. I'm running down the aisle. So let's see. Does that mean you win both showcases? I think so. I think you get it both. I think if you get, yeah, I think if you get it right on, you get both. Within like five dollars or something. Yeah, definitely. 
All right. So that's the that's the 2023 Toyota Crown Limited All Wheel Drive. Uh, all right. Shall we return back to the Detroit Auto Show? No. Sure. <laughs> we have to. It's it's a it's a shadow of what it once was. You know, they're they're not even really calling it the North American International Auto Show anymore. Are they? Um, they still technically do, don't they? Yeah, but it's kind of like in fine print. You know, North American International Auto Show, Detroit Auto Show. You know, on the banner, Detroit Auto Show is kind of what's in big letters. The big thing. Um, and uh, you know, as as it was last year, um, really, the the only companies showing anything new were the three Detroit automakers. Uh, who coincidentally um, are all all have have factories on strike right now as we speak. Oh, that's uh, <laughs> First time that has ever happened. Um, but um, you know the of the four vehicles that were shown. You know, well, first of all, none of the European brands showed up. The Koreans were not there, although uh, a, a local Kia dealer did have some Kia vehicles on the show floor. Uh, same thing with Volkswagen; they had some VW vehicles on the show floor. Um, but um, uh, Toyota had a stand, um, you know, that they put up, but did not uh, did not uh, have you know anything to announce at the show. Um, and and Honda kind of straddled the show. They they brought the ZDX here the week before the show, a few days before the show last week, and this coming week um, they're gonna have they're gonna be revealing the Honda Prologue here in Detroit, but not at the show, of course. Not at the show. Yeah. yeah. Um, but, uh, so the, of the four vehicles that were unveiled, technically unveiled here, three of them were mid-cycle refreshes and only one was all new. So let's start with the F-150, which Mm -hmm. they showed on Tuesday night in Hart Plaza. Um, and yeah, we already talked about the big news, which was the tailgate. The tailgate. Yeah. And it's got a new grill. Uh If you put them next to each other, this one and the previous one, I've, I've, because I saw all the, the, the leaked images and everything. I was yeah. like, wait, what's the difference again? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it, it re- I mean, it is literally a, a mid-cycle refresh. Yeah. yeah. The, all the sheet metal, except for the, the if you get the pro, was it proactive tailgate or something? Proactive. I think it's pro, proactive tailgate. I believe that. Yeah. What, whatever whatever their branding is for the tailgate. Fancy, fancy unless you, unless you get the fancy tailgate, all the sheet metal is carryover. Yeah. yeah, the the lights are new. the The grill is new. Uh, there are you know there are a few tweaks. Um, like you get you know they have that optional modular bumper on the Tremor, um, mm-hmm. which is standard on oh, the Raptors. Yeah, That's really yeah. cool. I yeah. like that the bumper too. It has the um, the sensors for the safety systems are built into that optional bumper, so you don't lose. Yeah, them. like sometimes when they do that, they're hidden behind now, like essentially on the grill of the normal version of the car you put the bumpers fancy bumper and fancy stuff and you can't see it you can still see stuff so they put they put a second set of sensors the ultrasonic yeah. sensors and the front camera in yeah. the bumper and which then you cool. can you can get that with a twelve thousand pound worn winch um which uh you know if you're if you're going to off-road you know that's a very handy thing to have if you happen um, to know sam's going somewhere with mud you should just follow him with it yeah <laughs> and, and then you know tell me out when i'm you know once i get stuck <laughs> I love this not the if he does when I get stuck guys help me yeah. out because <laughs> it's gonna happen. <laughs> Always good to have a friend with a winch. At, at the uh, the background presentation, you know, one of the things that they emphasized was that they um, they have reduced the number of buildable combinations by ninety percent. So basically, almost 
almost all of the options are now part of either trim levels or packages, you know, oh, rather than standalone options. Because I, I remember, you know, back around 2010, at that point, there was for the F-150, there was something like 14 million permutations that you could Holy potentially cow. build. Because, well, because, you know, you've got regular cab, super cab, crew cab, um, three or four different bed lengths, um, front wheel or rear wheel drive and four wheel drive and different four wheel drive systems, different engines. Uh, you know, they're not saying exactly how many combinations there are now, only that it's 90% less uh, than, than what it was for 23, which was already reduced from 2010. Um, but, you know, it's probably on the order of, you know, a couple of thousand combinations now. Which is uh, still crazy. Which yeah. is fine. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, uh, you know what I, I saw, I forgot to tell you all, I saw a regular cab F-150 new um, that a regular person was driving. It wasn't like a fleet truck or wow. municipality wow. or anything. Someone bought a regular cab uh, white with steelies. And I was like, oh, <laughs> nice. I tried to like chase him down and take a photo. <laughs> Wait, I need your picture. <laughs> Someone got like the base level F-150 just for the, around the house. I was like, oh, this person Perfect. Somebody bought one. Go there. Was it a long bed too? Like, was it the eight foot bed? Yeah, it was the long bed. So oh. it was the regular cab with the long bed. I was like, oh, this person is, they're just like, I, I don't this have is, any friends. Now this is I a real have... truck person. Yeah, they're like, I don't have any friends. If I do, I can just lay them down in the back. Yeah. <laughs> well, your, your, friend, your friends will be calling you when they need to move stuff. Oh, yeah, yeah. definitely. Yeah. They don't need to ride in there. They just want you to move their stuff. That's it. Yeah, just you for, move yeah, just stuff. for stuff. It's stuff transport. That's what Oh, I sold yeah. the truck. I saw in your starting your parking your parking space last oh, night. Nah, I sold it. I sold it. It's gone. It's gone. Yeah. Lost the keys. <laughs> um, and then the other thing they did was they dropped the base 3.3 liter naturally aspirated V6. So the 2.7 liter uh, twin turbo is now standard equipment. That's now the base engine across the board. Um, they also showed us the Raptor. Um, the Raptor R for 2024 will have, quote unquote, more than 700 horsepower. Which is you know right now it has seven hundred. How it will much have exactly, some... Sam? Do we know? More than seven hundred. Uh-huh. That's all they would say. They'll, seven hundred they'll, three. They'll have more details on that later. Uh, so that's yeah. So that's the F one hundred and fifty. Um, and then the um, the uh, Cadillac CT five um, got a a slightly revised grill. And it's got the dashboard from the uh, Cadillac Lyric now. Ta-da! <laughs> I don't like. I don't. I like the old grill. I'm just gonna say it. Like, cause you they like had the, the old, old one still there. So you yeah. look at the old one. You look at the new one. You look at the old one. You're like, oh, they shouldn't have done this. <laughs> <laughs> this was a mistake. The, the they new should, one. The new one actually looks one. more like the the V series. Yeah, I don't know. I like the old grill. <laughs> That's fine. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. It's, I mean, literally, again, but, if you stood in front of it, you wouldn't know the difference. It's when you're sitting in the car that you're like, ooh, but I, that's, I, where all, that's where the money's happening. I, I think the really big news, though, is that Cadillac is still building the CT5. That was, yeah. They, the, they, you they decided to invest the, the time and money to actually you know, build another, you know, to, to, to refresh it and keep building these for a while. So Thanks, Cadillac. Yeah. So that's good. Um, and then the only new product, well, you know, there, there was also the, the gladiator 24 gladiator, which gets, you know, the slightly tweaked grill 
and the new dashboard from the 24 Wrangler, which we drove mm-hmm. a few months ago. Right. Um, so that's it. That's that's all the news there. Um, <laughs> and then the the only new, really new thing was the Acadia, the 24 GMC Acadia. What did you think Acadia's, of that? The Acadia is back, people. It's back. Womp, womp, womp. Well, the, the, <laughs> the full-size Acadia is back. The full size Acadia is back. Wah, wah, wah. <laughs> Sorry. The thing you forgot was a car is back. <laughs> it's returned, guys. Get excited. Yeah. So the, the second gen Acadia, they went to a shorter wheelbase than they did for the Traverse. Because the original, the first generation, the Buick Envoy, the GMC Acadia, and the Chevy Traverse, and there was a Saturn. I forget what the Saturn was called. Um, mm. they, were, they, all, they were all on the same wheelbase, the same powertrain. Uh, the 3.6 liter V6 for the second gen by that time Saturn was gone and the Acadia got smaller but they kept the third row which was kind of useless uh, but they made it smaller than the Buick and the and the Chevy now it's gone back to the same size and uh, I don't know what do you think of the looks I mean I think it's, it's... sure <laughs> it's very Fine. much a sure it, it... It looks, I mean, it doesn't sure. look bad. It looks good. I, mean, I think it looks good, but I don't think there's anything especially, um, there's nothing that, wow. Yeah. There's nothing especially wow. I do like how the grill looks and the lights and stuff. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I guess that's actually pretty decent looking when I look, like, I've taken a better look at these things here. So, um, but it's not especially striking. I don't know. Would this make you turn your head if it was driving down the street? No. 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 I mean, no. It, it's like, you know, any, no, it looks a lot like any number of other, big three row crossovers, you know, Palisade, yeah. Telluride, um, you know, uh, Islander, you know, bunch of it other looks stuff. Like it has a decent, in fact, this is the picture you took, which is the third row space in there. I think that you have yeah. on this. No. It and and that was a pretty decent third row back there. I would say like the yeah. space between that second row seat and the cushion on the third row seat. It looks like it's going to be relatively roomy i don't know how many yeah. three people would yeah. fit back there but like two adults no problem yeah no and that was one of the things with the original uh the first generation and and also the second generation of the envoy and, and traverse is that you know because it, they were actually you know when they launched they were nearly the same size as the tahoe but they actually had more third more third row and rear cargo space than the tahoe because at that time the tahoe still had a solid rear axle um, and you know, this was independent rear. So the, th- the third row is actually pretty useful in these things. And yeah, so, it looks pretty good. you know, for, for people looking for a three row crossover, this is actually a, a pretty good option for them. Um, and you know, it's def- you know, it'll probably be worth considering. Uh, Do we get pricing on this? I don't know. No, uh, it doesn't, it goes on sale early in 24. So it's probably about four or five months away. Um, and, uh, no pricing announced yet. Uh, it'll probably be you know, a little bit more, you know, it'll be, it'll certainly be a little more than a Traverse, you know, and probably a little more than a Palisade or a Telluride because GMC is the more premium brand. Oh yeah. So it'll probably run from low forties to, you know, low sixties somewhere, you know, the, the Denali, what was it? Denali plus now that they have, you know, will probably be like 65 or something. Um, it's going to have so super cruise available on here. It's got the same 15 inch portrait style screen that's in the Sierra EV. And it has the same kind of glued on, uh, volume knob that is in the Mach-E and the F-150. Um, uh, so it's a, but the, the thing that they did differently that I really appreciate is 
that you know they have the the labels for the climate control sit along the bottom of the touchscreen, and you can touch them there. But there's also rocker switches directly below. Rocker them. So there's physical physical controls Yay. to turn the climate on and off. You know, auto set the temperature, set the fan speed. And it's got those little separators. So now it's yeah. the best car at the Detroit show. There we yeah, go. Right? Yeah, absolutely. Just by having that one feature, that's actually it is the winner. Cool. Yeah, you won the Detroit Acadia, Good which job, always Acadia. makes me want to say Arcadia, like the town in <laughs> Southern California. Uh, but yeah. Unless you're from, uh, you know, Atlantic Canada, in which case, you know, Acadia would be more familiar to them. Okay. <laughs> uh, all right. Um, let's see. What else? Oh, um, let's go back to Honda. Um, dun, dun, dun. It's a Honda, Honda-tacular today. Yeah. Um, Happy ha- Honda days, everyone. <laughs> back, back in the, uh, in the early 1980s. Honda introduced uh, a model in Japan, and they later sold it in a couple of other markets, a, a subcompact hatchback called the Honda City. And at the time, they entered, you know, one of the options for it was something called the, um, the Honda Motocompo, which was a little fold-up scooter. Uh, it was a 49cc gas scooter, and it was a two-stroke. Um, that the handlebars folded down and the seats folded down into it and, and the wheels, fo- at least the front wheel folded up a little bit. And it was perfectly sized to fit into the cargo space of this tiny little Honda City. Nifty. And uh, they also sold it as a standalone thing for a couple of years um, in Japan. They never sold it here. Um, but the Motocompo, at least the idea behind the Motocompo, is back as the Honda Motocompacto. Yeah. Uh, and this time it's electric. You know what it looks like? It looks like a suitcase. You know the suitcases that the kid, that are designed so the kid can sit on them mm-hmm. when the parent pulls them through the airport so the kid just sits in a little suitcase? It makes me think of those little suitcases. Oh, yeah. It's exactly that, but for adults? It doesn't it? It looks yeah. exactly like those suitcases. Well, and, and it's actually, I mean, it's not that far off from the size of, you know, a standard suit, like a, a, yeah. a, a check-in suitcase, not a carry-on but a check-in suitcase, except it's only about four inches wide. Yeah, um, so it's not as thick as a suitcase, mm-hmm. um, you know, and that, not including the foot pegs and the, uh, and the handlebars, you know, which, which fold up. Um, and it's electric, and I think it'll go about, uh, um, was it about 12, 12 miles an hour? No, 12, uh, miles. 15, no, 12 miles range, 15 miles an hour. So, you know, it's, it's small enough. You know, it's only, it only weighs 41 pounds. Yeah, so you could stick it in the back of your your Honda Pilot easily, pull it out. You know, park your if you have to park far away from your from your office or something, or or you just want to use it, you know, to go to the store or things like that. You can pull it out, unfold it, and ride it along. Um, And actually, this thing weighs about half of the e-bike that's in my garage right now. (laughs) I've got testing an e-bike that we'll talk about at a future time. Uh, and that thing weighs 75 pounds. So this thing is only 41 pounds. Um, and Mike Austin, who we referenced earlier, um, he he's already he's decided he wants to order one of these. It goes on <laughs> sale in November uh, in the U.S., and it's going to be $995. They're going to sell out. Yeah. They're, oh, yeah. Absolutely. There's no way. I'm already like, oh, how can I get one of these? What can yep. I do? What can I sell? What can I sell? <laughs> I kid me, Robbie. Because let's say you drive into the city. And the parking lot, or you want to drive to the outside of the city, or you want to drive, you know, you could you could drive this maybe to the uh, 
let, let's in, in the Bay Area we have BART. You don't live next to BART, so you have to drive to the BART station. You park your car. You take your little mod, moto compacto. You take it onto the BART as an e-bike. Essentially, it's essentially just an e-bike. You get to the city and then you ride it along to your job. You go upstairs. You plug it in because it's only forty-one pounds. <laughs> you nice. plug it in for three and a half hours. It recharges. I don't. You know, San Francisco is only seven by seven anyway. But you know we have a lot of hills, so it's probably going to burn through that that little battery. But still, like you're just cruising around in the bike lane, you you you, you, you put it to the office, and then you get back it, ride it home, do, 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 get on the BART, come back over to the the East Bay or South Bay or wherever you live, and then uh, you're good to go. I can't I can't. Or you just cruise it around town like the coolest person in your block, and they're very like, oh, you can you can do all this art on the side, and. You know, stickers and so they're they're very much uh you're gonna see a, I, I, I feel like we're gonna see we're gonna see scooter gangs who have all yeah, these, yeah. scooter gangs who have all these like they're gonna be art projects these are it's gonna be impossible to get one of these is what I'm trying to tell you <laughs> you're gonna uh, they're, they're gonna go they're gonna be uh they're gonna be on the the, the <laughs> you're gonna see five thousand dollar versions of these within a week I think I'm gonna order one now because <laughs> people are you're right and it's like people are going to make them all custom and fun and cutesy and then sell them for even more and more than what they're worth yeah yeah or, orders don't start until november um i'm gonna have an opportunity to ride this thing uh in about three weeks uh at m1 concourse which should be should be entertaining wow. i gotta i'm gonna hit up somebody I'm like, i don't know hey, if they'll actually I'll... let us ride it all the way around the track or just on the vda there but Probably because you know, if you go to a track, there's little electric scooters everywhere. Yeah. Well, the track the track is only one and a half miles long, so they might just let us ride around the whole track. Maybe they'll Ooh. let you. That's not a super long track. Yeah. Okay. But, uh, yeah, this, this thing should be a lot of fun. Yeah, um, really nice, like, and I bet they will. Yeah. If I go yeah. down to Torrance, will they let me? <laughs> Trying to figure out like, who's. Gonna- it's only it's only got a you know maximum speed of fifteen miles an hour, which also is significantly less than that e bike. The the e bike will go twenty eight miles an hour. Oh yeah, yeah, fifteen miles. That's appropriate amount. Of, you know, where yeah. are you going in, a, in the bike lane? What are you doing? Are you this isn't Tour de France? You're just trying to get to work. <laughs> well, you, down. You, for for the e bike, you have to put it in. You have to go into the settings and oh, you got to put race it like mode levels. To, yeah, like race the third mode level. To, to get twenty eight. So normally it only goes twenty miles an hour, and you know I was riding at twenty miles an hour yesterday. Yeah, there's three different levels, and like yeah. everyone's essentially like level two, but the level three, some of them have like you can unlock it to get to level three. But, uh, yeah. yeah, so the Moto Compacto, um, I, I think that's I probably going to be Moto a big success. Compacto. Oh, we're yeah. going to buy so many of those. We're going to have a gang. It's going to be the Wilbangs <laughs> gang. The Wilbangs gang. Oh, <laughs> uh, all right. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. Um, and one more um, sort of auto show related uh, was the uh, uh, the Mustang Mach-E Rally, which they first showed a prototype back in June at the Goodwood Festival of Speed. And then last week um, they announced that it's going to be available um, for the 2024 model year. Basically, this is a Mach-E GT that's been lifted um, and has 
all uh, off-road tires on it, you know, kind of given, you know, kind of a, an 80 or 90s rally look, you know, uh, you can get it with these white wheels that look like 90s rally cars. Um, and um, Ford's going to have uh, somebody take one of these on the uh, Rebel Rally this year, which is, yeah, when is that? Is cool. Uh, it's a couple of weeks. It's the middle of October. I don't know the exact dates, but it's getting pretty close. You've, you've done the Rebel, haven't you, Nicole? I did. I did it back in 2020 in an Infinity QX. Oh, my God. 80. The big one? QX oh, yeah. Oh, wow. There, the big one. You just take naps in the back. <laughs> you know what? There was one day where they, like, you normally have to camp in your tent at the official site each night, and they put your mm-hmm. car sort of like impound it. You're not allowed to re- mess around with your cars in the evening, and they're in a certain area. But can you sleep but, in them? No, you can't. Oh, so but uh-huh. there is one night where you self camp, and I'm like, well, on the self camp night, can we sleep on their car in a car? And they're like, well, if you want to, I'm like, yeah, heck, I do. <laughs> we like rolled the seats all the way back. I had the best night's sleep in a QX80 in the middle of the desert. <laughs> yeah, so the the, the rally covers uh, 2,500 kilometers, which is about 1,600, 1,700 miles. Yeah, um, across uh, the desert in uh, Nevada and California, um, and. It's unique in that I think it's only women competitors, right? Yes, it's only women. It's teams of two. It's only women. And you don't use any kind of tech anything to do your navigation. They give you a, a GPS coordinates that you have to map out onto little topographical maps each morning. So you do it each morning. Then you have to. So, get so those, those are waypoints that you have to those get to? Those are the waypoints. And there's like sort of like hard, medium, and like easy. They're color coded. So there's some that are very easy. You have a giant green flag. Then there's some that are a little bit harder, and it might be just like a small, like blue ribbon tied to something, or like a stick with sticking out of the ground, or a bush that has a blue ribbon. And there's others that don't have anything marked at all, so you don't know. You're totally relying on how just well hope. did you did you get there, and you have a little thing that you click when you're on the right spot. So if you're within so close, like you know, when the green and the blue, when you found it, you found it. The black one, you're like, I think I found it. So you're clicking and you get points if you get it. But if you're just rando out there, they will actually deduct points. Like <laughs> you had no idea where you were by that black marker. So you really don't want to click unless you made the effort to like, yeah, I think. Ma'am, you were at an Arby's. We can like, see it on the GPS. Arby's, you I needed an Arby's. Checkpoint. Uh, yeah, so it's, it's super challenging and it's hard on the vehicles. Like even, even people who are very much... Um, in really true off-road vehicles, because there's a four by four and there's like a, a crossover class. So a wide variety of vehicles make this. And, um, you know, even some of the most tricked out hardcore vehicles have problems, have issues. And it's not because they can't do it, but like you're out there for all those days in a row going all day over rough terrain. You're going fast when you can go fast. You're going, you know, over rocky things where you don't. It, it, it is a challenging competition, both for the people who are, driving and navigating and for the vehicles themselves. So it is a heck of a test for a vehicle to come through it in one piece. So, so if, if society collapses and we don't have GPS anymore, you can still get around. Is that what you learned while you were there? Um, I learned that if society collapses and um, I can still get around if somebody else tells me where I'm going because I'm not, I'm not a navigator. I'm not good. I can like plot the points like a champ. You'll, you can follow um, directions from your navigator. Yes, I can follow directions <laughs> from my navigator. Actually, plotting the points, like going with the GPS, I was super good at that, like using the little rulers. And, but then when you're driving, it's like you really have to have at any one moment, somebody has to be driving and somebody has to be navigating it's not like you can glance down as you're driving because you're like yeah you, you, you so you can't really do both i mean you could take turns and i could drive today and you could drive tomorrow kind of thing 
but I drove the whole time. So I had a navigator who was 100% responsible for like, okay, to get to that based on what I'm seeing out the window, what I'm seeing on this topographical map and what my compass is telling me we head that way. So, I mean, I can read a compass and stuff, but I am, I am navigation. Like on a boat. Yeah. Yeah. When they have the little things and the, the little, sextants yeah. and the yeah, we have. Do you guys have sextants? No, we have a little compass oh. with a little string, and like you line it up oh, and you like man. eyeball it, like where it's gonna be. And you can't see me using the cord from my microphone. It's it looks like, pretty cool, though. It looks pretty cool. I'm very um, jealous now. Thanks. So I'm just excited about learning how to do that because I, I was a big math really, nerd as a child. It's really cool. To, it's very cool to learn, and it's one of those things that's neat because when they first show you, you look at it and you go, "What?" Like, it makes no sense. Like, <laughs> I, well, I'm supposed to do what? And it just is really overwhelming. And then after a little bit, like, when it clicks, it's like a light bulb goes off in your head. And you're like, oh, I get how to do this. Once you get it, you get it. And then, of course, the challenge is always finding your way once you're in the desert. And that's all you have. Like, they cover up your GPS screen and everything. Um, once you're there and you're tired and you're hot and you're stressed, it's a whole different ballgame. So, so they just I mean, cover it up? They don't, like... I guess I can't disable it. Well, because disabling it can get tricky. Like how much, you know what I mean? It's not like a yeah. simple thing to disable it. So they take a piece of, like they literally take cardboard and they use, you know, the kind of tape they use to keep you from taking a camera picture of something. So if you move the tape. Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. And it leaves, the tape shows you pulled it off. It's the same thing. They tape it up. And then if you have, like you have to get rid of your phone, your watch, any kind of your laptop, everything has to be at the beginning of the event. You have to put it into this thing and you can keep it with you, but like you have to literally show at the end of, they tape it all and seal it all up and you have to show when you arrive at the end, like here it is. But you didn't do this. All thing. still taped up. They look inside, they can see that your GPS is all taped up. Um, so you have you have none of that, you know. Could you get a, like an old mind. Nokia phone and still call your friends? Hey, what's going on? No, that's <laughs> cheating. No, you know, the idea is that you're just doing this without. You're off the grid. You are off the grid. Like the only okay. way someone can get a hold of you is like there's, you know, in an emergency, your family can call and like, look, I got to get a hold of her. That's mm. about it. So you are 100% off the grid for that whole time living in the desert in a tent. Um yeah, and driving cool. around all day. Yeah, it's actually really, it's a very cool experience and very challenging, like I said, for the competitors and for the cars. So any car that does it, that is that says something pretty cool about that car. It'll be interesting yeah, to see how the Mach-E does um, as an EV. Yeah, it's a rally car. They've it's done not really an off-roader. Stuff. It's a different start, type of yeah. off-roader. Well, and they started doing EV stuff a couple years back. Like Emmy Hall did it, did it in the Rivian. That's the one that's sticking in my head. She's I know Lordstown Motors tried to take one of their trucks there last oh, year, no. and I think it made it about fifty miles before it yeah, died. Because they and they do do things where like there's certain normally you can get all the way back through the whole day. You should be able to do it on whatever tank of gas your car has, you know. Um, but of course, EVs are a little bit different. So and there's a few occasions where they have you doing a longer distance, and they have like a gas fueling tank basically and you stop and you can get you know 10 minutes of fuel or whatever you know it's a very yeah. limited amount of fuel and they do a different thing for for the electric vehicles because of course it's not the same topping off in ev you know so they they let yeah. them charge so they don't set you up to fail this like you have to work really hard to make it work but like even the evs they have a way where and they give them some leeway with timing wise because you need to sit in charge you can't do anything about yeah. that you know so um, they do do some of that kind of stuff so that you can still do it in an EV, but it is definitely more challenging. Yeah, it looks like they're working with a company called Renewable Innovations mm -hmm. uh, to support electrified vehicles. Yeah. Um, so they've got this truck with all these uh, solar panels on it and a generator 
to presumably to, to charge up the EVs and things like that. I think, am I remembering right? I thought they were even going to have some of that was going to be powering some of this stuff at camp. I somehow thought. Uh, yeah, that. I think so. Yeah. That it, so that it's not like you don't have all these generators running that you'll have some. So it's another way to just be kinder to the environment kind of deal. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. They're, they're also using hydrogen fuel cell generators to help charge the vehicles. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah, no, this is this is cool, and it's ten days, eight days of competition, um, and uh, the the aforementioned Jill Simonillo is yes. doing it again this year with her driving partner Kristen Shaw, another yes. friend of the show, and um, they're they are for the second year in a row running a Hyundai Santa Cruz, yes, uh, in this thing. So, and they've been doing all sorts of practice to mm-hmm. they they did great last year. They want to do better this year. They just want to beat the beat. They wanted. They want to do better than they did. Like they just want to improve, you know, they want to do better. They want to learn from what they, cause it's a huge learning experience, especially the first time. So they want to learn and do better. And their team, it's called team brute squad. Is there the name of their team? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah. And they're, they're excited. I was talking to Jill the other day, so they're really excited to give it another go. Yay. Yay. Excellent. Yeah. All right. Let's answer a couple of listener questions. Um, first up comes from Wes. Uh, it says, I'm interested in the Audi e-tron GT and Porsche Taycan cross Turismo, but have never purchased a vehicle in this price range before. So I had, uh, had some questions. Everyone always mentions that you should never pay sticker price. Well, that hasn't been true for at least for the last yeah, couple of years. That um, broke. If, if you're lucky, if you could have paid sticker price, uh, yeah, in the last you couple get of years, sticker price, yeah. you should like punch your arm in the air. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, Jeez. does that apply to this class of vehicles? Um, well, let's answer that. Prob- even before the pandemic, I would say probably not. Um, yeah. I, these are pretty I think, much. Yeah. I think when you're talking about premium vehicles like this, maybe, you know, maybe an Audi before you might've been able to haggle a little bit on the price, but probably almost certainly not a Porsche. No. And you would have no. been able to haggle a lot on the Audi. You're not going to take that yeah. number down very yeah, so Yeah, maybe you get not, like a free option. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not before the uh, pandemic, definitely not after yeah. the pandemic. Yeah. Um, anyway, does the buying experience still involve haggling? Is it or is it more straightforward? Mm. More more straightforward. <laughs> um and, and in fact, you know, especially with Porsche, you know, maybe less so with, with Audi. You know, if you if there's something you want that's not on the menu, you know, you can pretty much order whatever you want if you have a deep enough checking account. Right. Um, you know, if you want a custom color, absolutely, sir. We would be happy to paint it for you to match your, uh, your the drapes in your bedroom, you know, or whatever. You know, open your uh, wallet and we'll happily do that for you. Yes. Have a nice day. Let, let us just do a, a quick credit check on you. Check your check. You know, give, show us your uh, checking account. Uh, Balance. Okay. Yeah. Just give us can, your pin number. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you can take How care of it. How much is it? Just give us your pin and don't ask. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> You're asking. It's too much. Yeah. Uh, does this mean that there are no deals to be made? Correct. Um, have you <laughs> have, have you heard of any reliability issues? Um, I don't know. I, I don't. Not with either of these vehicles. Yeah. Actually. No, actually, I haven't heard any nothing. Yeah. I mean, at literally every vehicle that's out in the world, I'll hear something. Like I, I love the Ionic Five. I have someone who I know someone who bought an Ionic Five. It had a bit brain, uh, brain. It had a, a, a <laughs> battery wow. draining issue. Like the twelve volt battery kept draining, and they wow. couldn't figure out what it was. It's a whole big, you know, mess. But I've heard that's nothing. actually been common on a, on a bunch of EVs, though. So it's not yeah. uniquely a Hyundai issue. So yeah, I haven't heard anything um, from anyone about the e-tron GT or the uh, 
the same uh, the I've heard no specific head. issues yeah um and uh let's see uh um also what are your quick takes on these vehicles um i've only driven the audi but same. robbie you've driven both I have driven both. I've driven all the Taycons. Um, I would say, where were you looking at? The Cross Turismo? Just get the Cross yeah. Turismo. Um, the e-tron or, the GT, or the Sport Turismo, if you can get that. Or the Sport Turismo. Um, you know, you, you can get the Cross Turismo and be, and be very, very happy. Yeah. There's um, one in my neighborhood. Yeah, the Maybe e-tron GT is a slightly uh, – it, it's a. It's more um, – it's a classy. It's, it's not as aggressive as the Taycan. More luxury-oriented. Yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still a performance vehicle, but it's not as like, oh – as the uh, as the Taycan, and that's sort of the big takeaway is that if you're if you you want a lot, you know, you're still going to get a lot of torque. You're still going to get a really great driving experience, but it's not going to be as aggressive as the the Taycan, which is just like let's do this, and you're still getting you know a very luxury experience. But the Cross Turismo, because you're getting a wagon, that's the one to get. That's my that if if I had a lot of money, and they're like, what car do you want? I would get the Taycan Cross Turismo. I've driven it around here. I drove it, it in. You said if you have a lot of money, how Europe. much is it? Do you know offhand? I didn't mean to make you Google. Taycans start around a hundred thousand. Around a hundred. Cross Turismo. Dun dun dun. We're gonna find out. He's googling and, people. Uh, googling. I didn't mean to make you Google. I thought maybe one hundred and one thousand nine hundred dollars. One hundred and one. Pretty good guess there, Sam. As the starting price for a Cross Turismo. First cross resume with a it says a driving range of 235 i'm gonna tell you that porsche under reports its driving ranges it takes the lowest number the epa will give it so it's probably closer to 250. yeah and you know every, every publication that has done you know formal range test on the tycons and the e-tron gts they always get way more than the the label value for the range when I did the 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 Tycon, the original the dry program, and then the EPA number came out, I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. And I was driving through <laughs> um, through uh, Andrews Crest Highway up over the back, and then down into Pasadena, which is you know you're going up a hill, it's aggressive driving. Yes, you're going down downhill, but you, you're never going to make as much you know electricity as you as you deplete when you're driving like that. And it was still better than what the EPA said. I'm like. What? I was really confused. <laughs> and then you talk to them and they're like, well, and then you know, everyone does the tests and everyone's like, oh, okay, well, you're going to get much better than what they say. Yeah, most most tests of the Taycan, the various Taycan variants get anywhere from 275 to almost 300 miles. So you'll, you'll have no problem at all with, with range. Yeah, you'll be um, fine. And these things charge fast. I mean, they will charge it, you know, assuming you can find an EA charger that is fully functional, these things are <laughs> capable of charging it up That's to 200, up to 270 kilowatts. So they yeah, charge faster than pretty much anything out there. Yeah, they're, the, they're just sort of the quickest, you know, they're 800 volt architecture. I mean, everything about them is just fantastic. And again, just the regular, because the Sport Turismo is going to cost you, what, 141, I think it looks like. So you don't, you don't need that. <laughs> You don't need that. You don't need that. Save yourself $40,000. Get like a get like a Honda Accord to throw in the house too. <laughs> <laughs> Just for your sidecar. Yeah. yeah. Um and then um yeah, the other thing too is with the you know, with the type with the Cross Turismo or the Sport Turismo, either one. Um you know, if you're planning on carrying anybody in the back seat, they will have a lot more headroom in the back seat than they would in the uh standard Taycan or the uh the Audi. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I'm I'm very much uh, cross team cross Turismo. Um, the Audi e-tron e GT, I love that car. It's a great car. I just 
the utility of having, you know, you're going to, you're spending all this money. You might as well get a little extra utility. And, um, yeah, I, yeah, I'm not going to say what I was going to say. It's about, <laughs> it's about running a car from an Italian car company. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Uh, next up, Lawrence in the desert, uh, says, Hey gang, love all the EV and charging coverage. I was wondering why current gas stations do not seem to be concerned with the future. Why are they not embracing the future and setting up to charge EVs? It seems their current future, it seems their future depends on adapting to the coming wave of EV economy. They're uniquely suited in California where real estate is always an issue and many have the convenience markets already. Should we be looking at lawmakers to nudge these businesses into the future? Just a question that I have not seen any info on uh, future plans. Thanks for all the content and keep cheering the manuals. Uh, my 2020 Civic Si six speed is awesome, Lawrence in the desert. <laughs> Yay! Um, it is awesome, Lawrence. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, I I agree. Um, you know, in fact, there's a new gas station like half a mile away from me here. Like they literally built a brand new from the gas up gas station, which I have not seen in a long time. Um, th- you know. From scratch, you know, there, there was a it was a gas station that was on that lot that closed about ten years ago, and you know was rotting. They finally demolished it, and then uh, about a year and a half ago, they built a brand new gas station there. And I was shocked that they didn't bother to put in at least one charger there. I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna build from from scratch, but you know, it's you know, have, have the a gas station is actually an ideal place to be putting DC fast chargers um, because of the fact that you know, almost all gas stations have a convenience store, you know, maybe even a little fast food joint in there, place, you know, where you can sit down, have a cup of coffee, you know, have a burrito or something or a burger uh, while you wait to charge, uh, you know, or some gas station sushi if you're really living dangerously. <laughs> living uh, on the edge. Uh, but, you know, it. For existing gas stations, there are challenges because putting in DC fast chargers is really expensive. Mm-hmm. Uh, like the chargers themselves, you're looking at, you know, depending on the speed, you know, 100 to 150, maybe $200,000 each. They're, they're, that's, this is not inexpensive equipment. Um, and the other thing is you need power there. And, you know, my company, one of the things we do on on the consulting side of our business, we have this tool that we work with clients on things like figuring out where to site charging stations. And one of the big challenges is, you know, there's not necessarily the kind of power you need for DC fast chargers at every location. In fact, sometimes, you know, on opposite sides of an intersection, there may be power available on one side of that intersection and not on the other side or not sufficient power. And if you wanted to put DC chargers in there, you'd actually have to do a substation upgrade, which now that drives the cost and the time, you know, potentially into the millions of dollars and potentially a couple of years to get a new substation. So it's, it is kind of complicated, uh, but, you know, it, it, is, it is absolutely something that gas station owners are looking at, uh, you know, and they, um, the, the, the Transportation Energy Institute, formerly known as the Fuels Institute, um, we published a white paper with them earlier this year that looks, you know, at kind of the future of what gas stations gas because it's a trade organization for um, fuel retailers, and you know this is one of the things they need to be looking at. The other thing to keep in mind is that even with the pace, uh, you know, the accelerating pace of EV adoption in the U.S., 
you know, you got 290 million registered vehicles in the United States. Yeah. About 2 million of those are EVs. And the rest all use liquid fuels of some like sort. Gas stations aren't yeah. going to run out of customers anytime yeah. soon. So it's, yeah. like, like, yeah. it's not it's a real in far future thing. Decades cool, and like, decades it, and decades yeah. of EV right gas now, stations. Right now, they're in no danger of seeing their customer base just deteriorate. Over yeah. yeah. At, at, our, at our current projection for EV adoption, in 2030, roughly about 10% of the U.S. vehicle fleet will be mm. electric. So Which that is means a big number, but also 90%. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they're yeah. still using liquid fuels. <laughs> right. So they're going to be and, around, and, you know, into the 2040s and beyond. Yeah. Yeah. And if and even when you're, you know, even if the sales of, of EVs, like let's say 2040, we're selling like 75% of the vehicles are EVs on the road. That's still legacy vehicles. Plus, right. you know, they're 12 years old now. By 2035, you know, the lifespan of a car is probably going to be 15, 16 years at least. Yeah. Just because manufacture just continues to improve. So, yeah, it's not like gas stations are going anywhere. Yeah. That but, said, that's, that's a big there's thing. a 7-Eleven like two blocks from my house that I go to all the time. Or I used to. It was a Valero. And they, they demolished the entire place and built a 7-Eleven. And I would drive by it all the time. They have a big fence around with the little green like you know privacy shade i guess and i was like are they gonna put an ev thing are they gonna put an ev <laughs> thing are they gonna put an ev and i don't really need it because it's literally down the street from my house and i can charge it my house and they didn't oh. and i'm so i'm just like come on and e and 7-eleven has had announced that they were going to do uh charging at their um, stations and it makes sense because you can get a slurpee you can get like a microwave burrito you can the get those little taquito yeah you can get sketchy sushi. They got those little taquitos <laughs> that are like on a roller that they have all the time. Also and I'm sketchy. Just, I'm just like, you guys are rebuilding this whole thing. And it's next to, we have a, like one of those substation thing, like a electric, I don't know, I guess it's a substation that is like right next door to it. I'm like, come on. They yeah. do say that like, I think what Sam was saying, like every person I've spoken to who is in any way on the EV, uh, on the charging industry side of things, every conversation always comes back to exactly what Sam said. It is so stinking expensive to yeah. install them. And even when it seems like it should be easy, like you said, it could be one side of the road, cool. Other side of the road, nope. Not so and it's much. not like... 20 grand or 50 grand. I'm like, that'll be another $200,000 or, and it will take an extra four years. Like it just, it makes it so cost prohibitive and time prohibitive that I think sometimes like, yeah, we can't, we can't do. This I think right a now. lot of them are, are just waiting for the public utilities to catch up yeah, in order to exactly. like make it, you know, so they're like, okay, well, yes, I want to put an EV charging station at my gas station, but why don't I wait until Southern California Edison or Cal Ed yeah. or PG&E or whoever catches up and gets it so this is a less, you know, let them take care of the infrastructure for this. Right. That way, when I want to do it, it's not like, you know, like Sam said, one side of the street or the other side of the street. Well, and you we can do it, this. Though, like, Robbie, it's like we all think of the, the EV infrastructure, right? It's just like the EV infrastructure isn't there because we don't have charging stations. Well, the charging stations aren't there because we literally don't have the electrical grid infrastructure in place. Our, our, and that's what makes it so expensive for the charging stations. So that like sort of like layers of a pyramid, that base infrastructure has to get there almost first. And then the charging yeah. stations are easier to install. But there is, you know, there is an old BP station, you know, three quarters of a mile away in the opposite direction from that brand new one that actually last year did put in a pair of charge point DC chargers behind the, behind the store. And, um, you know, GM and EVgo are partnering with uh, Pilot Flying J truck stops yes. to put in chargers at something like 500 of those locations yeah, across the country. Awesome. That's yeah. great. And uh, I, 
you know, I, I don't know for certain, but I would be shocked if companies like Bucky's are not, you know, looking at adding charging stations. But I mean, they have you got 120 gas pumps. Right. You know? So what do you match? Like if you have 120 gas pumps, what's your equivalent? Normally most places have like four EV chargers. They're going to have like 85 or something, like a whole parking lot of EV chargers back behind the bucket. Well, well they're, they're, I think the one of the uh, the Tesla supercharger stations in California now has something like 96 superchargers. No uh, way. Yeah. And it's in like 96? Bakersfield or somewhere. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, they yeah, just keep huge. getting bigger and bigger. That's crazy. So, yeah, no, I mean, we you will see chargers showing up at locations like gas stations um, over the next several years. And especially now with the um, uh, the NEVI funding, the National Electric Vehicle Infrastructure Program, the seven, that $7.5 billion, the, these companies are all looking at, okay, can we get some of this, you know, can we get some of this money and, and do this and, and get prepared and get future proofed? So yeah, this is going to happen. It's just, you know, it, it takes time. It takes time for, you know, even if you want to do it, even if you've decided you're going to do it, it takes time for permitting, it takes time to get the equipment, to get it installed, get it, um, get it commissioned, you know, on the, you know, do all the inspections, get, you know, cause you're talking really high voltage equipment. You know, this is not you know, this dangerous equipment. You know, see, it's, it's not a trivial thing. It's not like just going out and buying a level two charger for your house and yeah. plugging it, plugging it into a spare dryer outlet. Um, yeah. you know, it's, and then there's, you, you need the people to do it and we yeah. don't have enough. That's like essentially my job now at SAE is like helping people learn the skills to do these jobs because we do not have nearly enough people to build all these travel all these yeah, chargers well, there, there was a to booth. maintain these chargers just everything needs to be yeah. done and there was a booth at the auto day. show this week you know from uh ibw the international brotherhood of electrical workers that's the big electricians union and a couple of other organizations that are all partnering to train electricians and certify electricians to do this kind of work because it's there you know there's a lot of new stuff to learn uh, when you're dealing with this kind of equipment. If you have a kid and your kid's like, I don't know what I want to do with my life. Um, there's electrician. Learn, learn a trade. Yeah. Be an electrician, yeah. plumber, carpenter, because I can guarantee you um, that those jobs are never, ever going to be replaced by an AI. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, yeah. They're never going to be replaced by a robot. You know, yeah. if, if you if you know, you know, like HVAC, um, plumbing, electrical, carpentry, um, there will always be work and good paying work. I mean, yeah, you know, I mean, yeah, you're you get on a nice union. You're not, you you're not sitting in front of your computer watching YouTube, you know, while you're on a Zoom call. But you know, you you can make a really good living doing that. You just said you, just, you might even be able to afford a Tycon Cross Turismo. Oh yeah, you totally afford it. Yeah, if you're an electrician, you're living the dream. I, yeah. I'm just like, man, I, is it too late for me to become an electrician? <laughs> <laughs> the more I talk, I'm talking to automakers and battery makers and all these companies, and you know, I'm trying to get them. You know, we're 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 trying to figure out how to, you know, get get folks, you know, excited and in, in, in the electrical field. And the whole time, I'm like, man, hey, maybe I should just quit my job and do that. <laughs> right, well, we can be wheel electricians or something. Yeah, <laughs> we can all re- rebrand. <laughs> all right. Uh, finally, from Andy in in New Jersey. Uh, wanted to get your thoughts on EV charging at home as my wife and I are testing out the EV waters. We just leased a 2024 Wrangler 4xe as my wife's primary vehicle, and I'll be picking up a 2023 Mach-E later this month or next. We're okay level one charging for now since she works from home and I have a, a take-home vehicle from work, but for our convenience, I see a level two charger in the near future. 
That, however, brings up the question of what kind of charger to get. Is Jeep Stellantis also going NACS? Uh, should I get an inexpensive J1772 and plan to replace it in three years? Hardwire a nice 11 kilowatt charger and plan on adapters, uh, something in between, or am I worrying about this too much? If it matters, both cars will be garaged and the house will have will need an electric service upgrade to accommodate any charger, so options are open. Has Jeep said they're doing NACS They have not announced anything yet, uh, but they yeah. are part of that. Uh, joint venture that was announced yeah. with six six other brands yeah, uh, to that. build 30,000 chargers that will have both CCS and NACS. My guess is that sometime in the next couple of months, the next few months, it. when we start to see you know the first of the production Jeep uh, EVs uh, being shown, perhaps you know maybe the LA Auto Show before or maybe 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 at CES, uh, we'll you know we will definitely be seeing something soon from yeah. Jeep um, and uh, and the other Stellantis brands. And my guess is that's when they will probably make the announcement of going to yeah. NACS. Yeah. Um, but I mean, all three of us have chargers at home. You two both own plug-in vehicles. Yeah. Um, let's hear your thoughts first. I mean, we have a, we didn't get anything. We have the car that you're looking at, the Wrangler 4xe. So we didn't, um, weren't looking at something that was like specifically fancy enough to say, okay, when are charging times? Can I set it to charge at this time of night and that time of night? Some of them are very fancy. Some of them have a lot of stuff built in. So you can really finesse exactly when you're charging your vehicle. So you're getting the cheapest charging times and you can look at all this on your phone. Like I, I, I'm a fan of just like plug it in, let's go basic and let's just plug it in and have it go. Um, and, you know, so I think especially we're going to have the, the Maki, you want something at home. I think that makes sense. You can probably charge it when you're out and about, but again, you face all the issues that we all face. And it's kind of nice to just have a full charge battery and not have to deal with trying to find someplace when you're out and about. Um, I, I think it's a little bit preference. And I feel like I'm like sort of shuffling it off, but I think you need to look and see what's out there, what's within your budget, what's available, because they're not all always available all the time, much like cars, a lot of this stuff, availability can be a little bit wonky and also deciding whether you want to have one that's hardwired into your house or you want to have one that's plugging into the dryer outlet like Sam just mentioned a minute ago or like decide what you want and what will work best for you um, but I don't think there's one that's necessarily like wrong like there's a lot of really good chargers out there take a look at the reviews out there for it and just make sure you're not somehow buying one that gets bad reviews and stick with one of the brands that like when you truly, when you Google and you find brands that come up as the biggest brands, go with one of those and not Billy Bob's EV charger. Billy Bob's EV charger. That's what Billy I got. Bob. No, you got well, Billy Bob's what, EV whatever you do, <laughs> make sure it's, it's UL approved. Yeah. Uh, Underwriters yeah. lab approved. Right. Yeah. You, um, so we, we put in a, a whole other plug on the outside of our house so we could plug in uh, chargers. Um, I have the juice box right now. Uh, you know, we, we decided to go, we were, you know, we, we were just plugging it in, but just for the, you know, I travel a lot. Um, my wife doesn't, shouldn't have to deal with like, Oh, it only charged like 40 miles last night versus, you know, if you throw in a level two and no matter what the vehicle is charged. Um, so we went with a level two, um, for us to put the, the, for the electrician to come out and to have the, um, uh, inspector to come out, it was like seven hundred fifty dollars. Um, that's gonna and and I live in Northern California, but I've heard it's more expensive in other places, which seems completely bizarro world to me. 
I think mine um, was like mine was like um, I think I almost did a little bit closer to twelve hundred for mine, but literally it was a little bit the timing. I had to go with one that was hardwired, and because I was doing it closer towards when the pandemic started, was in the middle of uh, it was hard. It was literally the wire. Like it cost more for me to do one that was hardwired than it would have done for me the one that was just plugged into because they have uh, to run different amounts of wire. Yeah. And the wire was happened to be the guy like the electrician. I originally was going to get a plug in one. And like when I was had to switch because I couldn't find one that was a plug-in that wasn't going to take like four months to come in, the electrician actually uh, apologized and said, "Hey, I'm really sorry. I got to charge you an extra whatever it was, two hundred dollars or something." He's like, "It's literally the cost of that stupid wire. It's so expensive right now." So that's what it cost me. I think it was end up net was about twelve hundred dollars for me to have it done, and I had mine installed inside my garage because I didn't want to deal with the snow and the rain, mostly the snow. I didn't want to have to deal with the snow. So yeah. 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 And, you know, the cost varies widely depending yeah. on, you know, where your service panel is in your house, where you want the, the plug or the charger. Um, and, you know, if you need a panel upgrade, I mean, if you have an old house that's got 100 amp service, you know, you're going to need to upgrade that to a 200 amp panel at least. Um, you know, 200 for most people, 200 amps is going to be fine. It's going to be more than enough. Um but uh, you know, hundred hundred amps is definitely not going to be enough. Yeah. Um, and you know, again, depending on where that's located, where the panel is relative to your garage or your driveway, you know, if it's on the opposite side of the house and you got to run wire all the way across your basement, um, you know, then that's obviously going to cost more because that that heavy gauge wiring is not inexpensive. Um, I also my mine, you know, to install uh, a. For NEMA 1450 outlet, so that's a, a 50 amp outlet in the garage, dry, you know, four pin dryer outlet. Um, altogether, it was like 700 bucks uh, for mine. But you know, I have I have an easy configuration where the panel is. It's on the wall that separates the house from the garage. You know, and just our panel, like our, our our panel to the box, is literally right next to where they put the plug. Oh, that makes because sense. right yeah. next to where we were going to park, and I'm like, oh, this works out really well. So you know, it's you know, we we decided not to do it in the garage just because I have all this wood stuff in my garage that I <laughs> yeah. work on if, if and you're... art supplies and crap. Uh, so yeah, so it was it was, but um. Yeah, once you get the level two, you can get the sort of dumb ones. They're just like you just plug it in. Yeah. Um, we decided, you know, we got the one with the little app, with the app, and it's just helpful for when you know things are are weird and you know, you know, I'm I'm a big nerd and my my wife is not, so it's easier when, you know, if things go weird, I can like adjust it or change it or restart it or whatever from like an app while I'm in another country, and so that kind of helps. But um, really, you know, you don't need to get that. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there, if you can either set up the, the you know for us we had the schedule we scheduled it with the uh with the box because sometimes someone will visit and they have a car um but you could just schedule it with your car as well yeah most most ev most evs yeah. allow you to schedule the charging exactly. you just plug it in and then when it, it gets to the time it'll start charging the you know in terms of whether to get hardwired or get a plug yeah you know, there you know, there's a couple options here on the Tesla, we talked about this a few weeks ago, I think. Tesla just introduced a new version of their wall box that basically has the magic dock on it. So it's got an adapter on it. So it's got the NACS connector, but it's also got the built-in CC or 1772 adapter on it that's in the box. So, you know, when you pull it out, if you just pull out by the handle, it pulls out, you get just the NACS, uh, but you can also press the button and it locks on the C the 1772 
adapter on there. So it comes out together, the NACS and the adapter already on it. And then you can plug that in. So if you get one of those and they're about, I think they're $550 for that one. Um, and you can hardwire it or plug it in. Um, and you know, that, that way you're future proofed, you know, so when it come, yeah. you know, if you get a future EV that is NACS, uh, which, you know, if you get other EVs, they will almost certainly be NACS. Uh, by the time you do that, um, you know, you, you could still use the same charger um, yeah. the, without having to store an adapter somewhere and, you know, remember to plug it in. It's just, it's all right there. Um, and so that's one option. The other option, you know, if you want to go lower cost is, you know, to get an outlet, a 1450 outlet and, um, you know, you can get anything from very basic, you know, charging cords and, you know, because they're limited to 40 amps, um, you know, so you're going to get 9.6 kilowatts, you know, the difference between 9.6 and 11 kilowatts, you're probably not going to notice that if you're charging overnight. Yeah. Um, it's not, it's not going to be a big deal. And so you can get, like, I have electron 9.6 kilowatt charging cable, that you know it's not smart or anything there's no monitoring there's just a little display uh on the thing that tells me you know when i plug it in how many how much current it's pulling what voltage and when it's all done it tells me how many total kilowatt hours it it uh, fed to the car um you know or you can get you know like i'm, I'm also still testing this autel uh home charger um that you know has it's wi-fi connected and i can monitor it with the amp or with the app on the smartphone and see what rate it's charging at and, you know, see the charging curve and, and all that stuff. Those are about, you know, those run about various brands run about five to $700 for one of those. And again, 9.6 kilowatts with the plug-in version. If you want to, you can also take those, you know, if in the future you decide you want to hardwire something, most of these you can, you know, at least the, the wall boxes, not the, the charging cables like my Electron, uh, which was that, that Electron was $300 the the wall boxes most of them you have the option to either hardwire it or plug it in so if you if at the if some point in the future you want to replace that with uh, a hardwired one um you know you can also have the uh the outlet you can have an electrician take out the outlet and just hardwire it to the same wiring um so that's that's probably your best bet for now is to get a either get the anema 1450 outlet and pick a charger you like or get that Tesla wall box um, with the, the, the magic dock. Yeah. I think they call it the Tesla universal wall box. Yeah. It's five ninety five shipping in okay. October. There you go. They know what they're doing when it comes to charging to be. Yeah. yeah. Whatever you want to say about Tesla, they can charge <laughs> like there's no tomorrow. Absolutely. <laughs> All right. That's it for the questions this week. Um, I'm also going to tack on a couple of interviews that I've done in, in the last couple of weeks uh, right after we say goodbye. Um, the first is with Stefan Hartung, who is the chairman and CEO of Bosch. Um, that is the world's largest automotive supplier. And they also make a bunch of other stuff. They make appliances and they tools. They make so many things. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had a chance to sit down with Dr. Hartung uh, at IAA in Munich uh, the other week and um, had, a, had a good conversation. So have that. And then I've got Brian Latouf, who is the global chief safety officer for Hyundai Motor Group. Uh, talked to him this week. They had the uh, ribbon cutting for um, the new Hyundai safety testing and, and investigation lab 
in uh, here, just uh, about 10 minutes away from me here in Superior Township, uh, Michigan. Um, and uh, so we talked about what they're doing there. Um, so we got Brian and uh, Dr. Hartung, um, and that will be coming up momentarily. Those have already been in the, uh, the Patreon feed for about a week or so. Uh, so if you want to get, you know, get these interviews earlier, uh, patron, Patreon supporters, uh, get those early. Um, and then we put them in the main show here and there's more coming. I've got more stuff that I recorded at, uh, at IAA that'll be coming out over the next uh, couple of weeks and the, in the main show and, uh, for patrons before that. So thanks everybody. Bye. And we'll talk to you next time. Bye-bye. Hello, everyone. I had the chance to go to the IAA Mobility Show in Munich last week. Uh, spent a couple of days there, uh, talked to a whole bunch of people, and I'll be sharing some of those interviews here uh, on, on uh, wheel bearings. Uh, first up, we've got uh, Dr. Stefan Hartung, who is the CEO of Bosch. Uh, Bosch, uh, Robert Bosch GmbH, is the world's largest automotive supplier. Uh, they make... Well, all kinds of components uh, that you find in many modern vehicles from almost every automaker in the world. And uh, we got to spend about 15 minutes together talking about the transformation of the auto industry. So here is my conversation with Dr. Stefan Hartung. Thank you for giving me some time today. Pleasure to, uh, to meet you both. Um, so I guess where I'd like to start is um, taking a look at you know, your feelings, Bosch has gone through a lot of transformation, as has the rest of the industry yeah. over the last several years. Uh, you know, Bosch, you formed the, the cross-domain computing group, but a lot of, a lot of changes in, in the industry, the shift to electrification, more ADAS and automated driving. How do you feel as a company that Bosch is progressing through this transformational period? Yes, it's always a matter of how far you go and at what speed. And, um, and guess what? We, we are kind of in a constant transforming environment. That's what we have to, that's what we have to see. It's, this is what happens, right? So whenever you do a transformation, as a big company, it's always the case, first of all, um, the first step is, do you want to transform at all? Because it's so great to be where you are, right? Mm -hmm. So, uh, I think that's where we pass that point. So we have decided we go for it. Yeah. And by the way, we first went for it just for cross-domain computing. Mm -hmm. And then we said, oh, wait a moment. The whole thing is changing. The whole view on cars is changing. We call it software-defined vehicles. So we have to design probably the entire company in new way, the, the car part of it. Mm -hmm. So we went to that thing. So we did another wave of transformation. And I think this will not be the last. The question is um, um, how to come to a point where you, where you design an organizational setup which is flexible enough so that you don't have to redesign it all the time. Because organizational setup should, should follow business strategy and, uh, and architecture and not the other way around. And, um, and there's always the risk once you have an organizational setup that this reflects on the business strategy in a good or bad way, whatever is appropriate, but, but there is a relationship. So what we try now is to really go dynamically forward and build via business strategy and strategy setup a organization form which is then flexible enough to, um, let's say, supersede the next waves of transformation in itself. 
that's the idea. That's what we've got these large domains. That's what we will also be across domains. Um, uh, so that's what we have across computational um, know-how, which is available for all domains because these computers are more alike in medical domains. And that's where we have bigger domains because these individual steering, braking, yeah, and injection and all that kind of stuff is probably merging into larger areas of the vehicle. Okay. So, yeah, that's, that's an interesting um, example, you know, across the, the software domain. You know, a lot of the, the skills and expertise, you know, across whether it's propulsion control or ADAS or body control or infotainment are going to be very similar. You know, there's, there's obviously some differences because of safety requirements in certain areas. Um, on the hardware side, does, does that um, expertise transfer work reasonably well on the hardware side as well? Well, you or you had to do something different there. No, on the software side, you can disaggregate this elements of uh, business leadership and and people leadership. You can do that, and then associate people to business projects as you need them, or in developer project as you need them. So that's a new organizational principle that you say normally it was that the business kind of owns also the right for the resources, right? Uh-huh. It's their people, it's their office space, and all that. Now we see that as all liquid because the business is elastic. So you have to have your resources elastic. So the resources have to reside somewhere else and you have to inject them. For this kind of work, it's absolutely possible and perfect. That's, that's these agile organizational frameworks. Mm-hmm. But for a factory, you still have to have some factory because there's assets involved. Mm-hmm. And these assets are not liquid. They are assets fixed. And um, that is why you have to have a much more a planning-oriented, forecasting-oriented, technically-oriented setup where you gain elasticity through various locations. So you need certain size for it. You have to have one plat, two plats, three plats, right? And you have to have a different approach. It is the way. Hardware is different in this protection and software. And by the electronics hardware, still is similar, but some of the other hardware is completely right. different worlds, right? <laughs> Precision manufacturing here, stamping there, uh, welding over there, and uh, electronics manufacturing here, that's a different tech. And uh, Bosch, you know, has always been fairly diverse, you know, like, at least, yeah, in the, the mobility space, yeah, which is where I'm most familiar with, you, know, you the company has made so many different parts of the vehicle anyway. So you certainly had that expertise within the larger organization. I guess it really comes down to how you organize it and um, trying to find ways to to give you that that flexibility as the as the market demands change. You know, as you yeah. shift from internal combustion and fuel systems to electrification, yeah. as you as you've been doing, for example, in, in the plant in Charlotte uh, in South Carolina, uh, moving from from diesel fuel systems to Building electric electric drive units. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, yeah. And Charles. Yeah. Not Charles. Uh, yes. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's okay. Don't yeah. worry. Yeah. I've, I've, been, I've actually visited the plant last Yeah, no, no. And that's the way we do it. Yeah. That's the way we do it. Well, we're still bound to the floor space. We're still bound to the factory buildings. So, and, and when you have to build, so con- construction, there's also some, some things that, uh, yeah, that is a bit more inflexible than you, you do software. So, um, one of the uh, you know the the industry as a whole has experienced some 
um, unique challenges over the last two, three years, uh, you know, starting with, with the, the pandemic. But it go, as we went through that, um, a number of new things popped up that weren't necessarily directly related to the pandemic, but we had a number of things that happened at the same time, um, you know, with starting with chip shortages, other kinds of component shortages. And uh, the, one of the things that we transformed over the last several decades was the shift to just-in-time manufacturing. Yes. And a lot of consolidation of manufacturing in fewer places. Um, and they realized uh, over the last couple of years that that system, while when everything was working, it worked really well, it was very efficient. Yes. But it was also very brittle. And now the, the industry is trying to adjust to that and how to provide, yeah. how to get gain more resilience. Yeah. And yeah. how how has Bosch been developing that, trying to develop, they're building that resilience? That's a key question because supply chains are complex if you set them up complex. And, um, and uh, this can lead to let's say a virtual cost efficiency, which, which if anything happens, it's not anymore there. So, um, obviously now you try to see, um, things in a different way optimized because you have to see that transaction costs going down, which was our paradigm where we thought that transaction costs of the planet go to zero. We can transport anything anywhere for zero. We can transact with no taxes and uh, and duties for zero, right? And we can we can project then productivity from any point of the world to any point of the world. That's kind of the ideal which was there 25 years ago. So, and then we everybody went for this global projection of 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 course, maximum scale in one location and then ship to the entire world. Well, you would see that probably now a bit different because we've seen if things go out of balance that suddenly transportation costs skyrocket. <laughs> some of the um, some of the leads you don't have anymore. <laughs> suddenly some duties come up which are not very nice and suddenly you can't use certain relations anymore because they are just politically or geopolitically problematic or uh, just your location is at risk. We have hmm, COVID at the biggest location. Yeah, like natural disasters or COVID at the biggest well. location. We just had to shut it down or something like this. We all experienced that, right? Mm -hmm. um, where, where a single ship fab somewhere in Malaysia can can lead to disaster globally. So, um, so that's where everybody's now working on on uh, dual or triple sourcing, smaller structures, more resilient network spa spaces, and so it's absolutely sensible to think of this dimensions. While at the same time, we should not now take it for granted that globalization has helped us a lot because one thing in globalization is great that you can project talent um, onto the business system which normally you couldn't if you're just turning around in one location. Uh, and I think this element will prevail. It would maybe even become bigger because most of the large economies are now facing a structural change of dem demographics which is coming the next 10 to 15 years and uh, that means we have to source talent globally. That's important. Product and physical uh, stuff. Um, there we have learned that a bit less scale and maybe a, a bit more locations uh, may be better than just one big thing somewhere with maximum scale because the risk is just too high. And that's, a, that's an interesting distinction between the, the talent versus the, the, the product and, and manufacturing. Yeah. Um, 
related to that, one of the things um, you know, that we've seen uh, from between the relationship between OEMs and particularly tier ones and, and the rest of the supply base, um, over the last several decades, we had a, there was a sh decided shift where OEMs gave more and more responsibility to tier ones to provide yes. systems. Yeah, to, to to do the systems integration and provide a system to back to the OEM to to do final assembly, and within that, you know, as as an example, the chips, yeah. um, the the tier ones were responsible for selecting the chips that were going to be used. Yeah, and now we're seeing, you know, as a result of the last couple of years, the OEMs um, pulling back some of that responsibility, them them doing the sourcing of what silicon they want. And saying to you, to tier one is like, Osh, this is what we want you to use in this domain controller or mm -hmm. the system. And I was talking to someone else uh, actually earlier this morning, and it brought up uh, an interesting point that that has given uh, OEMs much more visibility into the costs of mm -hmm. what's coming in and narrowed the scope for a, a tier one mm -hmm. to. Uh, have some profitability, have some margin built into the products you supply. How is Bosch dealing with that? Is that something you've seen, and, and how, how how do you deal with that to protect your business? Well, there's always there's always two margin pockets around. There is the system approach where you try to really build something remarkable because there's an advantage to provide a system. Otherwise, it wouldn't make any sense, right? There needs to be an advantage to running a system. Then there is a margin for the system. Um, and it, it, it doesn't come only to the point that you select the chips you use. It comes to the point where we um, have specific designs for silicon, which we do for systems. And these are our designs. We design them with our IP on them, and we let them manufacture by some manufacturer. Okay. So if you get a system from us, you get this kind of chips because that's our designs. They're optimized for the system. That's what you go for. And um, new system for for uh, what you mean with with silicon selected by OEMs. Very often is the the SOC selected by the OEMs. These are other systems which are defined by this SOC, by the way. And what you get is actually a tier one like situation with the SOC provider because he that says with that SOC, certain other silicon has to be selected to function with this SOC and certain software packages have to be selected to function with this SOC. So uh, what you get is, is not that you uh, don't source the system anymore, you just source a different kind of system. Yeah, it's just not physical integrated, it's in a different way integrated with software and other design rules. Um, but there is another business which is always of interest all the time and it has always been for Bosch, which is components business. Uh -huh. There are certain sub-components, sub-systems, sub-elements, which are of high interest for anybody. Um, I don't talk about the screw, right? <laughs> it's not about all bunch of small things, uh -huh. which are of high interest and which are just employed as they are. And it could be a semiconductor, it could be a, a sensor, it could be a small box with some integration, it could be some small computer. Um, and those those businesses will prevail. So I think we'll see everything. You will see uh, systems integration as it has been before. It will happen in some areas. That's right. And by the way, it makes perfect sense then for the OEM not to select the the silicon within a braking system because why should you do that? Why should you select the silicon within an ESP system? If you buy an ESP system, done. 
Okay. Yeah, and uh, yes, there is risk associated to that because the manufacturing of those chips is linked to that design. Yes, that risk exists, but the risk so far never play out bad unless in the COVID times, yeah, in the fallout. Um, then you will see new systems like the SOC-based ones. That's also a, for me, a tier one-like relationship you build up there Almost. with the dependencies as they are before. You can't just flip and change, right? Where we just present here that we have multi SLC capabilities. Uh -huh. That's our approach to it. Say, yeah, yeah, partnership with NVIDIA and Amberella and Qualcomm and... Very important. And you will see a lot of still very valuable components. For us, the whole playground is open. I think we'll even have businesses where only the integration will play a role, or only the software. And that's now new to this new world, because suddenly things come up which are pure IT, nothing delivered, <laughs> just the IT. And that's for me fascinating, because in the end, actually, um, I think new opportunities arise for both the OEM, the supplier world, the chip world, as well as integrators. You will see it all. And that's good. Lots of competition, good value. Okay, so we have any, any final thoughts? No, I think it's, we shouldn't do okay. things too pessimistic in this industry. The industry is a good way. All right. Yeah. You're providing mobility for everyone. That's good. Yeah. <laughs> thank, thank you so much for your time. Thank you. Pleasure to meet Thanks. you. All right, uh, so we're here, the ribbon cutting of the uh, safety, uh, safety testing and investigation lab, which is a new part of the facility here at Hatchie, the Hyundai America Technical Center Incorporated. So first off, a little background for Island too. If you're the global uh, chief safety officer for Hyundai Motor Group. I am. And um, so first, start off for, for listeners for the Wheel Bearings podcast, what is Hatchie? Well, Hatchie is our Hyundai America Technical Center, and uh, it's our regional uh, technical center that uh, looks at and develops um, technical solutions for the region for future products. Okay. And this new expansion that you're opening up today, uh, the, the, the still, um, what is that? What, what's this all about? So the still is a uh, is part of our North American safety office. So we call it NASO, N-A-S-O which is a part of Hyundai Motor America. So Hyundai Motor America manages um, product, sales, distribution, logistics, you know, issues in the field. And what we do is, as a safety office under HMA, uh, we lead um, investigations into uh, people that have issues, right? Uh, problems with their cars, uh, failed parts, um, understanding, you know, defects that have occurred. And, you know, our goal is to have an... Uh, a data analytics system that can actively look at data as it's coming through to uh, warn us of trends and emerging issues. And then from that, we'll do a deep investigation. And the, the investigation itself needs resources to understand what failed, right? So this lab enables that. So we'll have the ability to, to do uh, full-blown uh, teardowns of vehicles. Uh, we have a CT scanner that can study a part without taking it apart. Often if you try to disassemble a component, you know, you destroy the evidence of the failure. Um, and, you know, uh, a, a scanning electron microscope and a spectrometer that also assists with uh, detailed studies. So for a failed PCB board, you know, why did it fail? Is there contaminants on it and so forth? So we'll have the tools to truly understand that failure. And um, with that as well, we're excited about the VDA pad, the vehicle dynamics area where we can test vehicles that are at higher speed with the track associated to it. 
and then the the crash lab as well where where we can try to recreate uh, a real world crash that's not regulated by a typical crash test right so we'll explore the boundaries of what happens to our customers and we're after continuous improvement making the product better and uh you know the customers at the center of that circle that i talk about the circle of safety and that, that's i think that's what makes this facility a little bit unique um among the industry uh you know everybody's got crash test facilities and safety facilities where they're doing development work but this is also really focused on the vehicles that are already out in use by customers, right? And trying to learn from real world use. Exactly. Yeah. That, uh, the sooner we can get at an issue, uh, then the less safety risk it presents to people. If you, um, so for example, uh, fatigue or corrosion failure that takes time. If you, you wait and wait and wait and then, then react to it, it can, can grow and that creates greater risk. So we want to quickly find issues, investigate it understand the root cause and in a defect free culture you do recurrence prevention so what's the solution so this never happens again how do we change our requirements our validation on the engineering side or supplier quality issues we go after the the supplier for improved quality and what's the process for finding the vehicles that you want to test and investigate you know how how are you going to get vehicles or components back here to test well, that's the beauty of having it in region versus to do this in Korea, right? So we have the facility here. So it's much easier to ship a car from Florida to Michigan than it is to Korea, right? So um, it, uh, you know, uh, we look at data. So that's our data analytics infrastructure. So we're, we're uniting all the different data streams, like you have an extensive warranty stream, field reports, dealer reports. You have um, BOQs, which are submitted to NHTSA, right? So you have all these different complaint uh, databases. So our data analytics system uploads that into a data warehouse. And we have uh, machine learning tools that vectorize the data and we can look for trends. And we're, we're mapping field component parts, verbatims of what people say to an actual safety hazard, loss of power steering or lo loss of uh, brake control, you know, that, those type of things. There's 15 hazards. And then we rate them from a severity standpoint that gives us line of sight of the issue and you know we get products around that represent the food okay so once you've identified something in this data system then you can go and, and look for to retrieve a particular vehicle or component to bring back here for for investigation yes and the the bad component is just as important as the good component, right? So you have a baseline. So you can probably more so because that's, those are the ones you're going to learn from. They're going to learn from, but you also want to compare. So you try to get uh, the same population. And if it was a, you know, a supplier quality trend, you may see evidence of that quality issue and other bins or products produced around that same time frame. So um, from a, a safety perspective, you know, what, what do you think is the biggest safety issue that the industry is facing today? Um, you know, and, and kind of what do you think are going to be the big challenges that you're going to be facing over the next five to 10 years? Well, we're um, very much after uh, the 43,000 uh, fatalities that are likely to have uh, died on the U.S. roadways. 42,715, I think, is the number. I, I can't remember exactly, but it's um, it's a big number. It's a huge number, and it uh, how do you how do you improve on that? So it's not just failed vehicles, but it's 
it's the opportunity of how are these people getting into crashes, studying that behavior, testing it in our uh, crash lab, and then also how do we improve our crash avoidance systems, right? And we'll be able to look at um, uh, performance of our AB systems, like with the camera, the radar, active braking, you know, when, when an obstacle's in your path. You know, how do you make a crashless car? There's a long way to go. There's a, there's a big number to go after, but, you know, that, that's one of our goals as a company. And, you know, looking at those um, fatality statistics, you know, especially over the last decade, the biggest area of growth has actually been pedestrian fatalities. Not so much the people inside, because modern vehicles do such a good job of protecting occupants, that that number has been relatively flat. Um, but um, it's pedestrians that are the ones that are dying in ever larger numbers. And so, I think, you know, what you're doing here with the VDA potentially has a lot of real benefit there. Yeah, the um, the pedestrian issue, yeah, so you need to look at not just the vehicles, but the system, right? So, uh, speeding is up as a, as a habit. People are uh, excessive speeding, right? Um, impaired driving is another one that uh, negatively affects those numbers. And then uh, nighttime pedestrian uh, fatalities is very high. And so um, you heard David Arkey from IHS talk about headlamps, right? Mm -hmm. So he, he actually will reward on behalf of IHS a top safety pick if your headlamp. And they actually test at night with these headlamps to ensure you can spot a target at a certain distance or a turning radius. And uh, if the headlamp can't do it, they'll, they'll give it a poor rating. So we engineers ours to, to meet his criterion requirements. And it's a massive improvement in your ability to see that pedestrian in the twilight or nighttime and a distance. And, and of course, if, a couple of months ago, NHTSA put out a notice of proposed rulemaking for next generation AEB systems uh, to try to make them even more robust. And right now what we have is a voluntary system, but there's going to be a, a mandatory system. And how do you see AEB having to evolve over the, the coming years to, to potentially meet those new requirements? Um, that's a great question. I mean, I responded to that rulemaking. So I submitted a positive document supporting NHTSA's effort, plotting uh, their choice to go after that. I think just because you have AEB on the car doesn't mean it can't get better, right? So how do we improve it? Higher speeds? Um, more difficult pedestrian uh, detection tests, and then they've added nighttime, right? So um, those factors alone are going to make it very difficult with existing systems on the car to, to meet that um, standard when it comes out. So we'll have to plan for it. So how do we enhance our current systems? What additional uh, sensors or hardware do we need to put in? But it, it it's all in the right direction, right, of uh, trying to eliminate those crashes, eliminate the fatalities, um, so I applaud NHTSA for taking that step, and we'll figure it out. Engineers love to, that's problem-solving 101, right? It's, yeah. We'll figure it out. And, of course, in addition to the BDA and, and this building, there's also your battery investigation building. Uh, and as you get more and more EVs on the road, there's going to be more challenges around those. What, what sorts of capabilities are you going to have here for battery testing? So we have a, a battery investigation lab, a bill, BIL, and... It's um, nearing completion, and we're very excited for it. It'll have high-voltage charging. It'll have the ability to fully tear down a, a full-blown battery pack, which is a, a significant part of an electric vehicle car, right? So you'll need a special hoist, a special lift table to do that. We'll be able to disassemble the cells, 
If there's um, an issue with one of the cells, a short or high resistance, we'll be able to find that out. We'll be able to see, is it a manufacturing issue? Is it a supplier issue? So that type of resource is very special. So we're going to have that here, and we're going to pursue um, any type of failed system we'll, we'll bring here. We'll look at it. Um, not only do we want crash safety with electric vehicles, but we want charging safety, right? So when you charge your car in your garage or in your apartment, um, we want you to sleep well, right? Mm -hmm. you, you don't need to worry at a full state of charge, something really bad is gonna happen. We have a battery management system that'll monitor it, we'll cut off the charging, but we're gonna constantly look for those improvements in quality. Um, the One of the advantage Hyundai has is our battery partners are Korean as well. So LG uh, Energy Solutions is Korean based and we also have SK on. Korean. Um, I've personally been through their facilities in Seoul to, to walk their quality line, and they just the advancements are happening almost every week uh, of improvements in how they manufacture. So the learnings are incredible, and we're going to help add to that with what we see and find in the field. And then one last area that was uh, highlighted as we walk through the building here is you know, there's areas that are focused on connected vehicle and, and particularly cybersecurity. Uh, and you know, as we have vehicles that are more and more connected, you know, you get cellular modems, Wi-Fi, Bluetooth, etc., uh, plus you know connections through a charging port. Um, cybersecurity is going to be an issue. So, how big of a team are you going to have focused on cybersecurity? So we have. So the Hachi team does have an existing cyber team. I'm not sure exactly how big. I think it's like maybe 10, 10 people. Um, you know, I, I think the goal. For uh, cyber, for us, will be more uh, in-region testing and evaluation of systems. But the the software aspect of it is is it requires a very specialized skill set that I think will exist in Namyang. But we'll have a team here that can help take uh, vehicles in in region and study the concerns and issues and report back. But I, I don't think we'll staff up to develop the future. You know robust uh, cyber solutions. Okay, well, that's probably more out of Korea where they're developing the core operating systems okay. and and, uh, and and the overall development process because obviously cyber cybersecurity is something that's got to be designed in from step one of developing a vehicle now. Yeah, and I just so imagine any type of change to harden a system for uh, cyber threat, you're going to affect for potentially uh, the functionality of something else, right? Because it's the software is all connected on a high-speed bus, so you have to have that ability to to, to revalidate the whole system performance. And I think that will continue to be stationed in Korea. It's kind of important. Any final thoughts you want to share? Oh, I mean, I'm excited. I mean, this has been a dream. So we're uh, it's kind of a milestone in my career. Yeah, you, you announced it look, last year in Chicago, I think. Uh, now what, 18, 17 months later, uh, here it is. Building it, yeah, yeah. Almost ready to move in. Yeah, we'll, we'll be moving in soon. So yeah. Thanks, Sam. All right. Thank you very much, Brian. All right. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.